tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today on this Monday morning, 1800 938 007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you if you want to make a call. And Leanne is looking after the programme today. You can text in WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, coming up on the show this morning, shock at the announcement that the post office in Tipperary Town will be contracted out. Matthew McGrath is with me live in studio on that. Hayes' Hotel issuing a statement to dispel some rumours that have been out there. Ireland's Eurovision entry divides the nation. We'll talk finance with uh, Francis O'Hanlon and uh, global politics with Thomas Conway. And uh, comparison between Tipperary and Alabama on a national radio yesterday. I'll bring you a piece from that, in fact, and uh, we'll hear from Marie Osborne uh, joining us for our Women in Business slot and St. Bridget and why her legacy is so enduring. So all of that and much, much more. A quick peek at the front pages of your papers today. The Irish Daily Mail leading with the story that Irish hauliers are being offered payments of up to €25,000 to smuggle migrants and illicit... Uh, uh, items into the country. That's according to the Daily Mail. Also interesting one on the front of the mail, the uh, Taoiseach Leo Radcar may be on the cusp of calling a general election after his right-hand man warned uh, party members to get their houses in order by Easter. He's a uh, right-hand man there, being the Fianna Gael General Secretary, uh, John Carroll. Uh, the Irish Independent and their main story, and it's interesting in light of that announcement about the top 10 earners in RTE, but 60 people a day are now facing prosecution for not paying their TV licences with the rate of summonses uh, issued uh, soaring since RTE payments uh, fiasco erupted to the Irish Examiner. And they're leading with uh, the story that the government is to crack down on asylum seekers who abuse the international protection system and warn those who are refused will be sent back home. So the tougher stance comes as the Justice Minister Helen McAdee prepares to add more nationalities to the list of so-called safe countries. Um, Let's have a look at the Irish Times. And again, uh, immigration in their main headline. They're saying that immigration tops the list of issues getting the attention of voters in the past months, according to uh, a new measure of public sentiment introduced in the Irish Times uh, today. And also, uh, globally, at least three US soldiers were killed and more than 30 injured, uh, some seriously indeed, in a drone attack on a base in northeast Jordan near the Syrian border on Saturday. Night. So that's a look at what's making headlines. If you want to make comment on any of that, again, 083 311 Now, we were contacted by a number of people last week informing us that rumours were rife in Thurlis that the nightclub in Hazel's Hotel was set to close. Now, obviously, we were saddened and rather concerned to hear those rumours, and we reached out to Hazel's Hotel for a statement. Now, this is what they have sent us. Our nightclub continues to run every Saturday night and every bank holiday Sunday. We continue to have teen discos monthly for the local youths, and 
there is never anything on local for this age category. We have no plans on closing and we never did. It's very frustrating to the owners and management of Hayes Hotel that these rumours uh, are falsely being spread. Our hotel restaurant uh, not closing, never was. We serve food seven days a week. Over the last year, we've been very busy and continue to provide Thurlistown with a place to dine and stay. Our accommodation will continue to sleep guests that come to visit the area. We are currently in the process of building an additional state-of-the-art kitchen and restaurant, which will be open at some stage this year. So if anything, we are in fact expanding. We're extremely grateful to be able to expand and thrive in a time with such uncertainty for this industry. And we have had our busiest year to date uh, last year, 2023, and we hope that 2024 brings much more of this and indeed our best wishes to uh, Hayes Hotel and management and staff there. Now, there was a rather extraordinary uh, claim on the Anton Savage uh, programme. I'm just trying to find it here if it's on my... uh, I don't think it's on my my hotkeys. But it was an extraordinary claim um, on News Talk yesterday, where a public affairs consultant, a political commentator, and former senior government advisor, Jared Howland, he made a startling claim about Tipperary. He compared Tipperary to Alabama, which was really uh, a remarkable statement in itself. Now, I don't have the clip here uh, with me, but uh, we'll see if we can get hold of it for you and play it for you later on. But I really thought it was rather unfortunate, and if you heard it, you might like to... Uh, to respond to that again on 083-311-3311. Now, Unpost has announced that its office in Tipperary is to become a contractor-run post office and there was a huge reaction to this locally when the news broke on Friday afternoon. Tipperary TD, Matty McGrath joins me in studio. Matty, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. And good to see you today. You've been campaigning, Matty, and you've spoken to me several times about the closures of post offices for many years. Um on post claiming that this this change won't mean anything different for the people of the town, what what are you making of this announcement? I'm making this a shock announcement to staff and a wonderful management and staff team there. I want to compliment them and great relationship with with the public that go in there on a daily basis. Uh, I got the email at about um, you know sixteen minutes past four on Thursday evening from uh, Angus Laverty, uh, saying informing me of this. In fairness, I suppose before the staff were informed and anybody else, but just as a way of public representative, but the staff should be consulted. This happened in here, and I did Castle and Care are two examples, um, you know, where this happened in the past, and to, and with great services by board ma- ma- p- people who took them over there mm. in Castle. Uh, they're, they're working very well in yes, terms but yeah. Care remained in the post office. Mm. Castle remained in, in, in the post office. So this is a big blow because where's it going to go? First of all, I don't agree with what they're doing, but there are only 40 left in the country, uh, offices that mm. are fully on post offices. The rest are private contractors. I've seen them now. There's one in Carrick and Sure and Fairness in the Super Value, and it seems to me anytime I haven't used it, but I've been in there, you, you can't leave the, the store without coming out by it. So that seems to be in good space and plenty, plenty room. But I've seen some cases, and I've seen shops that got them, and Give them up after uh, six, eight months because the, the real problem is they're, they're, it's not, they're not viable and they, they only get so much per transaction with a minuscule bit of money for, um, for, for, for insurance and re- refit and everything else. So they're going to, obviously, they've told us, I'll be raising this in the door tomorrow. I hope that they'd have a change of heart, but the minister will stand up and say one thing, but on post do the other. And this has been going on steadily for the last 10 years. They've just been losing them and losing them and losing them. So now what happens? Public, public tender. It depends then on business people. You know, the, the worst case scenario could go out to 
the shopping centre, you know, it could that'd be worst case scenario. But I don't know who's going to apply for it first of all. It's a private commercial decision, but it, uh, I'd want to see it see yeah. it retained where well, it is. We, we had arranged to have Angus Lafferty on with us uh, this morning, but uh, he pulled out. He couldn't do so. He was in uh, travelling or something like that along the way, which is a pity because we'd love to hear his uh, view uh, on this. Uh, tell me about that transfer of services. Is it your understanding the original building will remain for parcels and all of that stuff, and some commercial? aspects will move somewhere else. Is that is that it? Well, I, my understanding is that, and I haven't spoken to Angus Lafferty, but my understanding is that um, uh, the shop counters we know it, and all those services uh, will be moved to a private, if they can get a private contractor, uh, and the other, and for the moment at least, uh, the, 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 the parcel and all the van and sorting mm. and delivery, it will continue in the building, but didn't how long does that last for? Because they probably obviously want to sell the building or yeah, something. But if, if the commercial aspect of it moves out of the town, I mean, you know, a lot of people who use the post office will have a cup of coffee or they'll... I know. You know. Up there and, and it's a lovely it's a lovely area yeah. and it's only just isn't that far from the main street and, you know, goodness knows we've got enough of um, body blow, hammer blows this week in Tip Town or last week in Tip Town and this is another one because this is a state body. The loss of the court service was huge too and it went kind of under the radar completely. Then it moved in. We don't excellent. Was good. It seemed to me to be operating okay, but the technology completely as well. So, without any consultation with local local groups, or indeed the, the people involved in Excel. So, this mm. first of all, the effort must be made to retain it here. Of course, if people don't put up their hand looking for it, other commercial businesses it won't. They won't be able to move it. But. This, I suppose business people and do. Tipperary Town, they have that government-sponsored task force. I mean, precisely because the, the town is deprived, yeah. Matty. So, it's, I mean, was there any consultation there? Or how does not, it... not that I know of. I, I bought from the room, I said the email I was brought to my attention on, on, on Thursday evening. So this is the problem with government task force. Like, And I want to commend the locals on the task force and all the people involved in Michael Begley and many, many others. They're, they're doing Trojan work, but one arm of state doesn't give a toss about the other arm of state. It's the same with the migration issue. Just let them handle that. And this is the problem. The little fiefdoms of their own, and they don't want to interact and engage. So you would think that this, that, that, but maybe the task force wasn't aware either, probably wasn't, would be one of the main planks that we retain whatever government services we have in a town. Like in fairness to, the, to Matt Manser, it was a privilege in bringing the decentralisation mm. there back. Mm. Uh, you know, I was in government at, at the time with him. But these, there should be kind of a, always in a town like Tipperary, and many other towns as well, a kind of a, a balance that you have so much, um, uh, whatever you have, you kind of hold it in the interest of supporting the private business, because they're under savage pressure. Private um, small business mm. and private people in business are just... Uh, it's just not viable at the moment and the way of housing update everything else is coming along so we'll be hoping to keep it there as I said if people don't don't pony up and and, and look for it to be moved uh, it's a busy post office huge throughput so you need quite a big shop or a big business to to, to cope with that Um, in terms of staffing though my understanding is that staff can stay on and work for the contractor or be redeployed somewhere else within on post but you'd wonder where that would be I don't that's that's very difficult because first of all you don't know who obviously if some private contractor takes it on they would need some of the key staff that know how to run the office and have been running it and you'd hope that that would be done if we lose it Mm. if it goes but the other commitments are mortal, like you travel to wherever, Tullus or Limerick or wherever. And would they go? have the same benefits then that they would have under on post? No, not at all. No, sure. I mean, it's a private arrangement then, and, and, and that would be all that has to be negotiated. But no, they wouldn't. In my opinion, how could they? I mean, the private contractor isn't going to take on 
you know, that kind of a situation. Um, I, I couldn't imagine that they would. I've been involved in care. I'll never forget when care was meant to be closed. It was a huge battle. And fair juice to Henry Reedy and his team did a dinner to end this work. Mm. Over, but uh, we, we kept it in the building. Uh, Johnny yes, Cummins yeah. and others got involved in a massive campaign and we kept it in its present location. And that's very important for, 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 for the area and care as well, where it is. So, uh, for the businesses there. But it's an iconic mm. building. And, 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 and it is known as the building. So, you know, where it's going to go? It's a long but, town. But even with people power, on Poster not for turning. You saw what happened in Thurles. For do you, mean, do you remember the huge turnouts there for taking the post out of the centre? Of the I town? do. I do. And looking back on it, there was a, a kind of an underhand deal done there before ever we heard about it. Oh, so it's well, moving out to the. Well, we don't, don't well, know about that. But but like in terms it, of what, but it, they in, turned in care. In, in fairness, it seems to it seems to be working out though in Thurles now, is it not? I haven't. No, well, listen. Even though it has taken footfall. Oh, out of the massive of the footfall! Town, and yeah. I've business people. I, I met a lady in shop in Clonmel actually two weeks ago. Said I said it was very quiet on the day, just early January. I said you want to go to Thurles? She also was in a, works in the shop in Thurles. She said with the loss of parking and with the post office gone, uh, it's it's just. Very, very, very dead. Mm. Very, very dead. And so, look, that's happening in every town. It's okay. going to happen in our own town in Care, taking away 40 spaces out of the square. And indeed, obviously, New Park or the old Galtier Hotel. But people will not come in, will not walk in these distances. And it's it, men as well as we're going to be taking about 90 spaces out of O'Connor Street. And that's mm. some situation. So you're hunting, you're hunting people would, out of the town. I would say a lot, a lot of, as you know, I'm from Cash, a lot of people were annoyed the time they took out the parking spaces from the centre of the town where the plaza is now. But look at it now. It's it's fantastic. Cash is a different town. And I was just talking to them. People yesterday had a wonderful event in New Inn. Um, Castle is always busy and it has the footfall. And yeah. thanks to, to, to the new hotel, the palace, and new business, Castle, thankfully, and it has that kind yeah. of uh, you know, uh, ambience. It's busy always, but other towns are suffering. The central towns, especially where they have located a, 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 um, big shopping centres out in the periphery, footfall is not in the towns. Ha, any notion of the timescale for the change in Tipperary? No, as I'll be asking the minister and they'll give them the usual reply. But I'm, I will be meeting with Angus Lafferty, I expect, and we'll have to see what happens there. But as I said, it's all, income, it's all kind of circumspect on what kind of an appetite they have for, for, for private mm. people to take it over. So ideally, if we could have an arrangement... Especially when they're when they're when they're um, keeping the parcel and other services there, if a private contractor, maybe from from ex employee even post could be in there, they know the business, they know the footfall, they know the the, the, the topography of it. So I mean, that'd be the best option if we're going to lose it at all. And it looks like that they're not returning, but keep it where it is. With uh, you know, probably probably staff among post, uh, or sorry, a, a person that would, would have it, know the business, like what happened in Chaos. It worked out wonderful with with Henry Reedy in Chaos. I said so. That would be the best. John option. Morrissey over in Cash and John Morrissey in Cash doing a tremendous Indeed, job. and many other areas as well. But yeah. they're two that I'm familiar with. All right, okay. Um, will you just react to this because I have the piece now. I'm saying there, Matty, uh, <laughs> that claim made on the Anton Savage show on uh, News Talk yesterday where Jared Howland, he's a public affairs consultant, a political commentator, former government uh, advisor. In fact, that's the key. He, 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 <clears throat> made, he made this claim. Just, just have a listen to this. We've more money now available than the history of the world and there's no one that's pro-homelessness, so I, I don't see it. I see everything, obviously, through the prism of my home county of Tipperary, which sometimes resembles Alabama more than anywhere else. But if you look at the protests after the racket hall, who was on the platform. It was a Sinn Féin TD who was a 9-11 denier. Assumably won't, you know, be the Sinn Féin TD afterwards. It was Matty and it was Michael Lowry. And how do they square that with, you know, the left wing of the party that doesn't, I imagine, feel the same way and, and feel empowered to go on platforms like that?
Now, largely making reference there to Sinn Féin's drop in the polls, but that comparison to Alabama, <laughs> I mean, that was, I mean, what happened in Alabama to the slaves and, you know, the hangings and, and the awful treatment, to make that comparison, did you find... Yeah, I look... I could see the shock in your face there. You didn't hear that thing. No, I didn't. It's bizarre. I was listening to RT at the time uh, I was travelling. And, uh, you know, same story. Usual suspects, ex-government advisor, one probably on the NGO list, possibly, maybe not, but every second time he turned on a, a, a political a show, his name comes up. The usual name comes up. They do the government bidding. That's a huge problem we have here in this country. I know, as the teacher said last week, when we met about the COVID inquiry, Ireland's a very small place and everyone knows everybody else and we can't really ever an inquiry, you know, we'll have to, we can't have a blame game. This is more of it. I'm surprised for a temporary man to say that, you know, the, the nice time I, when I'm out at a wedding or whatever, would say, sweet, I'm a, oh, I'm a Alabama, we play. I have those memories of Alabama I don't go back to black slavery and, 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 and those horrific times, you know, and it's interesting at the moment with the motion and get, with, with the ICJ, International Court, where South Africa are pushing it after all what went on there for decades. And I'm glad they're pushing it, but God, I'm, it's, it's amazing language. But I wonder will he be paid away like I was when I said something about colonisation because, you know, we have a history of colonisation in this country and we saw the effects well, of it. I, so. I was kind of saddened because I admire uh, Anton Savage as a broadcaster that he, he didn't pick but up as I said, he's doing the government's bidding. What about uh, that result in the um, in the business post? Uh, Maddie Sinn Féin dropping four points the latest poll. The independents like yourself up uh, two points I think mm. at this point. What, what is that saying to you? Look I don't ever go by polls that much to be honest. I've never did a poll myself many of my colleagues have or been involved in what I have been involved probably in several that I didn't know about uh, by national companies that but or my name would have been but look uh, you needn't go for a poll the government know the dogs in the street know that. and look I'm so glad just on the way in I had a farmer Minister Justice, former AG, very, very, when I respect him, I'm actually good friends with him. We talk quite a lot and we get a chance in... in, in, in Michael McDowell, in Yeah, Michael McDowell has come out to say and the government needs to take their head off the sand. And, like, I said this on a programme which last time I was on two weeks ago, that um, Minister Gromlet and, and Minister O'Brien had told me, get over yourself, man, he was going to have 10,000 this year and 15,000 next year. So this is the figures that Radical Gromlet is throwing out. So we just cannot cope with this. It's not a matter of being wild, wild you see, in the wild west, you know, Temporary. It's a matter of services with 14,000 homeless, with, with, with all the, the quaking um, health services, and with the, the no services for children and psychological difficulties. And my goodness, you know, you just, just couldn't, can't imagine it. And the pressure on all our schools. And, you could, and like you can be picked up for saying there's one school that's capacity somewhere. There might be, but the vast majority of schools, the high class numbers, and the pressures that are on us there. So we need to cut our card according to measure. I said that all the time, even about. Ukrainian refugees. Look after the people properly. And, and now Helen McEntee is talking about a crackdown. Helen McEntee, look, is all over the place. They're getting the crack. The nick. The, they're getting on the nick now. That's Fianna Gael councils facing an election, and 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 Fianna Fáil, and now they're all over the shop saying different things. I had her interview today, and she said nothing. How she could make an interview where she was put there that there was over fifty nine traffic court guarantee gone in the last year and she kind of made that into a positive that we've more go safe friends we have they collect money 
There's no use for, for, for high visibility they can't, and they can't chase a speeding driver. Those vans can find you and I, 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 they're repugnant to me because you could have no NCT, no insurance. You could be blitter or drunk or on drugs and you pass through that and, and, and uh, you know, mm. uh, with an invisible number plate and you, you yeah. and they're useless. So we're in, investing... in fairness, uh, Superintendent Eddie Golden did point out to me that since the vans were put in place that there was certainly a drop in, in terms of road deaths at that time. And, you know. I hope so, but my 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 um, and I respect Eddie Golden. My uh, information is that I've tried for Duggan's bins and different places, dangerous back spots over the years to have those vans placed or by hell no way. They have every excuse in the world, too dangerous, everything else. You know but they, they want to be in thirty sneakily in thirty zones and you're going from a fifteen to a thirteen, maybe five kilometers over it and no, that's not true at all. That, 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 see the problem is their private business, and they, uh, you know, and most of the revenue goes into their company, not back into the state. So there's no replacement for the uh, traffic core, and because they can chase any kind of a vehicle, and they can chase, and they give people that sense of. Well, of course, they're trying to boost numbers now of Gardaí coming on. But uh, they've like been so. down and down and down, and I mean, we've been told this all the time. But and the figures have been manicured, like there's natural wastage as well. People go into Templemore, and they don't. It's not for them to find out, and maybe, and you know, with some of the prices and best. One lady in particular came out of Templemore a few years ago. The clanmen were delighted, and she didn't last any time. She left the force altogether. So that happens as well. So we let the numbers go so dangerously low. And like I walked up O'Connor Street on, on 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 Thursday from from Dolly and right up to the Metro Hospital, right up to I saw one uniformed uh, female guard, uh, and I might have been undercover. I didn't see him, uh, and back down again. So I mean, on, on O'Connor Street, on O'Connor Street, right up along down to the Custom House Key, up along and and not not as in a row. Sure, wasn't there lots of promises about extra policing there? And, and they did, and they brought him up from the country. I met him above around the doll and I met him from the meat, or from Tipperary, I met Gaz for Christmas, big show. That's all Wayne's offerings for the PR and, and, and the image and the minister chooses to walk down at one stage with thank by senior officials saying how safe it was, you know, and um, it was reasonably safe, thankfully, on, on Thursday, but huge uh, pe- right. amount of people there, and but there's no, 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 no physical uh, evidence of, of Gardaí. Before I let you go, can I ask you about that piece in the, the mail today that the Taoiseach may be on the cusp of calling for a general election. His right-hand man there, John Carroll, warning the party members to get their houses in order by Easter. So that would put it before and, the And Easter is Easter very early this year. We've Ash Wednesday only um, uh, two weeks' time. So, I mean, panic has set in, obviously. I mean, they have these two referenda that no one knows anything about it. And, like, again, it's to ham fist away this government and the disrespect to the deputies of all parties that are elected there, you know, to have consensus. The, the last um, Tuesday and Wednesday, they rushed the whole legislation to hold these two referenda on, on the, the date they have in early March. So is he going to abandon them? So is he going to have, is he going to have, you know, what, what's going to happen there? Will we all together? So they're unclear. Wait a minute. Is that a possibility, though, do you think? Not, I couldn't see it. We, we, maybe they, they know they're going to have a very bad turnout because... We had an, an amendment down. So had many other people, uh, very good amendments down. And the guillotine on them, we had a two-hour debate on an issue that we're going to put to the people here in uh, the date, uh, the date lose me now in, in March. Mm. Oh, it's on it's it's International, eighth, Mother, it's International Women's Day, isn't it? Yes, uh, yeah. Yeah, the 8th, I think. The 8th, sorry. Yeah. How could I forget? But, 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 and the ironic part about it was, I called a vote in, in the final stages against uh, going ahead with this, with, with this ham-fisted manner without having them properly teased out, amendments even discussed. And um, what happened? They refused to give us a vote. So then we, there was a stand-up call, and I could only muster eight people in the doll 
to, 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 to stand up against this. So it's ironic. They refused to allow a vote in the national parliament where we're elected to, and they'll be asking the people to come out and vote for the referendum. If you just think about it, it's, it's, it's a very... Well, it's, <laughs> it's going to be a very interesting year, one, yeah. one, one way or the other. Matty, thanks well, for just coming my, my fucking score, sure. and I know yeah. you often played with her, the late um, Caroline Lafford. Oh, she's Wonderful yeah. lady. Beautiful lady. And, yeah. and Paul and Keane, and both mothers are alive. It's just so, so uh, harrowing. Carol had so much, did so much good, you know, in her, in her playing career and also her work career and her, you know, wedding Photography. That, yeah. She was loved yeah. and respected and succumbed to yeah. battle. And such a huge turnout there. Last Massive, as did, um, you know, her, her, a friend of hers as well. Um, I think they were in school together, even uh, Tina Newby, who succumbed also. And both wonderful actors in the yeah. art world and gave so much to community. And always been such good form in, 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 in a jovial mood, but it's tough and we just send our, our thoughts and prayers to, to the families this morning. For sure. Matthew, thanks very much indeed for coming into us. It's uh, 29 past nine right now. Back in just a moment. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or Slattery's Garage. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, Cork singer Bambi Thug has been uh, chosen to represent Ireland at the Eurovision Song Contest uh, this summer. The decision was made on Friday night's Late Late Show Euro special overseen by the host, Patrick Kilty. Now, if you didn't hear the song, um, let me play you some of the song that is representing us this time round. a little from the song it's called Doomsday Blue and as I said the singer is Bambi Thug and uh, Dave joins me now Dave good morning to you it's a story friend and uh, sure you know yourself Dave it's Monday and all of that what do you make of Bambi Thug and that's uh, what will be our Eurovision entry uh, I mean when you hear just the audio it's not the worst yeah. song in the world mm-hmm. you know um, I don't know like I have <laughs> How do we scale this? Like, do we do it from a scale of like one to dust in the turkey, or or what? Like, you know, <laughs> or do you compare it to to what's another year or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. But like those days are gone. Like, mm. You know, I mean, if we send a Johnny Logan or a Dana nowadays, like it, they, they wouldn't even qualify. Absolutely, you know, like, absolutely, yeah. I mean, like, look, like Eurovision. There's a certain kind of um, kind of campness to the Eurovision, like the. Did you know that movie that came out with Will Ferrell uh, about Eurovision? Yes, yes, indeed. (laughs) One of the best things about that film is because they actually perfectly captured the the showiness and the campness and stuff that goes along with Eurovision because you're not just putting on a, you know, you're not just getting on and singing a song. You're you're kind of putting on a bit of a show. I mean, a couple of years ago, like, 
a rock song like those guys from Italy won it and that song was absolutely savage um, was that Lordy no what was it? They, they no they no. were they were a good few years ago no these were a bunch of dudes from um, Italy I remember at the end of it uh, was one of them accused of snorting cocaine because the, the, the way the camera captured him it looked like he was leaning down to do something but good it God. turned out whatever he was doing was, was fairly uh, I would say innocent right. Um, right. yeah they're just not trying anymore really yeah, uh, you know. funny enough, I saw, I, I didn't see it Saturday night because I was working, but I, I watched it this morning with the video. I think it has something about it. Now, it doesn't stand up as a song, per se, that you could perform on a piano or acoustic guitar, but there's a bit of theatricality about it. I, I t- no, there is. I yeah. mean, like, I, I went to the whole goth phase when I was a teenager. Did so, you? I mean, Send us the photographs, years. Dave. Uh, no, none have survived, thank God. Um, so 16-year-old me would have been down for that. Like, but, yeah, um, yeah no, I, I mean, look, it's not even just the songs. We, I mean, it's the whole voting system is against us. And, you know, like a lot of the, a lot of the countries in Europe tend to vote together nowadays yeah, yeah. anyway. But, like, what I can't understand is, like, if we really wanted to make proper go at, like, trying to win the Eurovision again, why not have, like, a national contest, you know, like, for... You know, like an X Factor or, you know, what do you used to have for Eurostar or well, something like that. That's it's, a very good point. Do you, do you not think, because this there was a lot on Twitter about this and, again, making the point that the, the Late Late Show is probably not the ideal platform for this, Dave, so you, you'd go along with that, would you? It, well, it is. I mean, like, there's nobody in my generation watches the Late, watches the late, late Show, you know. And, but, like, I, I've read, like, I've read some other where they said, like, it was chosen to one. So, like, who else was, like, performing? that, you know, that that was the one that beat everybody else out, mm. you know. Mm. Well, well like there was Louis Walsh's boy band uh, in it, wasn't there? Didn't they come second as oh, far as I know? God, yeah, I didn't I didn't think Louis was still knocking around. Oh, I thought he, he'd, is. I thought yeah. he'd, yeah, I was sure, you know, uh, to be fair, look, to be fair to Louis, he's good at what he does. Yeah. But, um, no, but it is, it's, I mean, it's like that episode of Father Ted, Euro song, it's, you know, it's almost like they're, they're trying not to win because they just can't afford to host it. <laughs> But then again, I mean, look, if we did win, where would we put people when they come to see it? We know hotels. <laughs> oh, you old cynic, you. Are you young cynic even, Dave? Yeah. I just, no, no, no. I, I, I try to be as optimistic as I can, but I'm I'm also a realist as well, you know, so. Yeah. I'm just looking at the screen in front of me here since I played that little snippet of the song. Uh, uh, let me just sum this up by saying people are not happy with it, Dave. Let's put it that way. Shocker. Yeah, yeah. So is that an age thing, you figure? Uh-huh. Is no, a- it's it, no, it's a taste thing. You, it? you know, it's, it's, I mean, look, a, a song and a performance like that is it, it plays to a very niche kind of a, a crowd. We'll say, you know what I mean. And like, you're definitely not going to find you know many uh, lovers of that kind of music in rural Ireland, for example. You yeah. know, funny, um, funny enough, how would you describe that? Because it's kind of a mixture of rap and it's goth. It's kind of a mixture and... of like, yeah, kind of like goth, dark, bit of EDM. There's a, there's a couple of different genres kind of thrown into it, really. You know, yeah. it's, it's a bit of a mishmash. Like I said, if I was on a night out now, if I was on a nightclub and I came on it, I'd definitely bop to it. But I mean, it should be interesting to see how the rest of Europe responds to it. And look, to be fair, I mean, when you see some of the stuff that other countries spend as well, it's still not as bad. And again, it's not just into Turkey, so... You know, yeah. hopefully we don't make that mistake again. So we should, maybe some year we should send Podge and Raj doing an old trad session. <laughs> just for shits and giggles, like, you know. <laughs> oh, I'd love to see that. I can imagine what the stage show would be like. Yeah, it's. Uh... Oh, it'd, it'd be absolutely fantastic. Like, you know, I mean, then if they get roasted, then they can just fire abuse at the judges. <laughs>
I'll go for that big time. Do you think, was it necessary for them to point out, though, that Bambi Thug is uh, non-binary? Like, why? why? No, no. That, look, that's that's just nowadays. I mean, if that had been, like, 20 years ago, nobody would have given, you know, given a crap. It's just gender ideology and gender politics and blah, 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 blah. All this stuff is just, they're all the hot-button, sexy topics to be talking about nowadays. You know, like, that is... Whether or not she's gender fluid or non-binary is absolutely no relevance to like the well, song. That's, that that's what I thought, and I mean, they didn't point out the sexuality of anybody else, to the best of my Are knowledge. Are you sure? With the Eurovision not too long ago, where like uh, a man or a woman with a beard won. That's, you know? that's so, right. That was Israel, I think, years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So who cares? You know, no, it doesn't. But people just love to point out this kind of stuff nowadays. You know what I mean? Because it's just apparently it's the world we live in, and you know, God forbid, if you're any bit different to everybody else, you know. And finally, Dave, has it any chance, do you think, in, in Eurovision? Optimistically, no. Realistically, no. <laughs> but, do you know what? But, I mean, look, to be fair, I mean, if they do win, I'd be quite happy to come back on with you and eat my words. Okay. Do you know? Okay. Okay, so, not fair. Yeah, so, somebody was telling me this morning that uh, seemingly people internationally saying this is a good shot at it. But look, we'll, we'll see what happens. Dave, it's always good to talk to you. Thanks very much Thank indeed. Always Have a good one. Bye-bye to you now. That's uh, Dave. Let's go to uh, Patrick. And Patrick, a regular contributor to the show. Patrick, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. How are you? I'm Hi. still laughing at Todd and Raj. <laughs> Thanks. So. The images are there. I'm very interested to know what you think of this because you're into the music. Um, what What did you think of this? My honest opinion, um, I didn't watch it now. I missed it Friday night. I was busy doing something else. Mm. And a friend of mine said to me, you've got to watch it. And I think you'll get this. So I watched it, and I watched it back, and then I watched it a couple of times on YouTube. I think it's wacky. Mm. It's crazy. Um, but I think it has a very strong chance of winning. I think this could be the eighth win for Ireland. Wow. Wow. That's the way I think of it now. Um I think just on her eccentricity alone, um, and you know, it, it, like you just said to your previous speaker, and um, someone said to me, "Oh, she's non-binary or identifies mm. non-binary." I could care less if she identifies as a carrot. But you're absolutely. I, I mean, and everybody would feel like that. I'm sure, Patrick. You know, I just wonder why they brought that into the conversation. But anyway, I just, think it's, yeah. I just think it's crazy enough that it could actually win the Eurovision for Ireland. But is there not uh, is there not something about it though? I watched it this morning, and when you see the video, there's something about it, all right. That's kind of attractive. I think. I don't know. I think you know. For like I've said this before to a lot of people, um, because I have a background in choreography mm. and I know choreography. The choreography was brilliant in it, and the dancer too was good. Um, the eccentricity of it, it was. She did. Do you know what she looked like to me at first? Um, she was like the love child of Lady Gaga and of the Osborne. <laughs> you know, and I thought this. I'll never be this, able to watch it again now without thinking about that. This has got me now. I mean, I really think this one will sell. If she doesn't oh. win your vision, this well, is going to be. Well, there's the shades the of Kate Bush in there as well, you know. It's there was, yeah. yes. It, it was like every genre was thrown in. Um, I'm talking from Kate Bush now up to Madonna and the likes of Lady Gaga, stuff like that, where it's in your face and it's off the wall. There, um, there, there was talk as well, Patrick, about some of what they were projecting behind her, some of those images being satanic in some way and uh, 
or even Natsy. No, I didn't spot anything like that there, I must admit, but maybe uh, I, I, I don't know what exactly is a satanic uh, image. Hmm? No, I didn't see anything like that now, Frank. Yeah. But, um, a friend of mine who speaks fluent Irish, um, I, I asked about when she sang that bit at the end in Irish. Um, it seemingly is something to do with white, white witchcraft. Oh, right. Okay. Apparently, that's what it, that's all about, is white witchcraft. Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at the screen in front of me here, Patrick, and it's definitely getting a thumbs down from everybody um, to, uh, who's corresponding with us this morning. One person saying, uh, absolute disgrace, Eurovision, demonic and blood-worshipping evil. So that's that's very strong, isn't it? Well, I'm going to give it a thumbs up, friend. I'm going to be doing it live on your show as the first person to give it a thumbs up because I think it could win. I mean, to be honest, at first I said to myself, oh, my God, she's actually having a rose bag of flour. Hmm. <laughs> but I really think it could do something, and that's be honest. Well, you know, you know, I'm going to hold you to this now. <laughs> I know you're going to hold you to this. And if she wins, I'll hold you to it because I'd be back on saying I told you so. <laughs> well, Patrick, listen, we appreciate you coming on with us, and thanks, thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Uh, good, Thank you. Good, well, good morning. Okay. That's uh, Patrick there uh, speaking to us, as was Dave about uh, what will be our Eurovision entry now. It's Doomsday Blue and uh, the performer is Bambi Thug. Only three, three double one, uh, double three, uh, double one. Uh, Brian, however, says, I like the song chosen for Eurovision, even as an oldie myself, but I feel uh, self-respecting countries should be boycotting the Eurovision if Israel is not removed from the list of contestants, my reasoning uh, being that it looks like it's been left to individuals to support uh, Palestinians as the establishment has all but abandoned them. Um, again, people making the point this is demonic and uh, unfortunate choice. Uh, Fran, I think they picked that song because they didn't want Ireland to host it anyway. Um, I really think the Doomsday song is uh, rubbish, Fran. Typical Irish going the complete wrong direction. Of course, uh, the fact that uh, Bambi Thug identifies as non-binary means uh, that as left-wing liberal wannabes, we're obliged to send them, says somebody with them being in um, inverted commas. All right, we'll take a break. Back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. A listener says uh, they should have Irish music on Eurovision like Trad. We can't uh, be trying to copy other countries. We need to be proud of our own country and our own Irish music. I think they tried that. Was it with Dervish? Wasn't it with Dervish a few years ago? They tried that and it didn't win or it didn't do anything, in fact. Um, Fran, our Eurovision singer, looked more like the Monster High Dolls, says somebody. Uh, somebody else saying, this is what Eurovision is about right now. Uh, well done and good luck. And James is in Rose Green and he says, uh, definitely worth a punt where that is concerned. Uh, Thomas is with me. Good morning, Thomas. Good morning, Frank. How are you, Evan? Uh, good to talk to you. What, what do you make of our Eurovision entry, Thomas? I was watching the show now, and I must say, I really enjoyed it. It's a good song. It's bold. It's outstanding. 
and really it makes us it makes us statement saying look Ireland is changing with Eurovision because mm. it's about now like you know over the years it has changed yeah. now you did say something there in your last uh, little statement there you said in regard an Irish uh, music going mm. now there was a band called Cotobin okay which had a mixture of kind of Irish Irish speaking in it it was kind of bilingual yeah uh, on the final I must say it was very good they came third that that was on yeah. Friday night, Thomas, was it? Friday night, yeah. yeah apologies, night. I didn't see it, you see, but I yeah, think no, I heard no, that song. No, that was no, actually no. a very good song. If that was really I catchy, remember. it was really yeah. catchy. But Bambi, when Bambi got on the stage, she had the crowd going. Yeah, yeah. In the studio, she really, really had it going. Like, and even, like, even Garold Farley, the um, comedian, he was one of the panellists on it. Yes. He said it was brilliant, like, and even one of the... Uh, Louise Duffy from RTE Radio 1 mm. who does the 12 o'clock show or something like that I think it is mm. uh, she was one of the panelists and she said it was good as well Like, right. well you, you know your music you're, you're a music presenter Thomas so <laughs> you, you, you tell me then I mean will this be a hit song do you think this could go it, on and win fine, it, 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 it will definitely get us out of the semi-finals mm-hmm. okay in winning I'm going 50-50 yes. but it's a statement to say, look, Ireland is changing for the first time ever. Now, one of your presenters, or sorry, one of your contributors did say there that Ireland should do kind of an X Factor style. We did that. Yeah. Back yeah. in 2002, I think it was, with Mickey Joe Hart and Simon Casey. Mickey Joe Hart got to the final of it and won it. Now, in saying that, Mickey Joe Hart got us into the top 10, which we got the world tonight. So, so Ireland has yeah. tried that. So, and do you think the Late Late Show as a platform then does or doesn't work? Do you? It does and it doesn't. Now, I must say, the first time this was, this is Pat Keelty's first show. Yeah, yeah. And he was, he was comfortable with it. Yeah. And it just goes to show that the whole country was, was represented, both North and South, because they left the 32 counties vote completely, not just the Republic, the North Iron Gods as well. So it was good to see, like, and yeah. I really, I really must say, I wish that be the very best of look. I think she was going to do it for Ireland. Yeah, it, she certainly is a very theatrical performer. But what did yeah. you make? I, I thought the whole non-binary thing was just unnecessary. I, I just didn't see the point of... I think fine, that was just said for BT. Just for the BT, just say, look, I'm non-binary, I'm different. That's all it is to me yeah. now. I'm not I mean, a big issue. Let, let her be or speak. She could be... She could be Two cats and a dog and a fight in the middle of a concert. Yeah, I but you, know, you know, I feel the very, very same as that. I don't care. Mm. But it, it's just nobody else came out and said, well, the, you know, the heterosexual no, boy they band. Didn't. Or they, you know, no, they why, didn't. why would you make a. But, but anyway, yeah. that's, that's beside the point. You, you think just, it could do the business? It could do the business, I think. And look, you know the way yourself, the way the Eurovision has gone. Mm. You said back there, back in 2015, mm. Conchita Hurst went in as, with Rising Like Phoenix. Mm. That was the man with the, she dressed the lady, he dressed the lady and he had the beard. All right. Was, was uh, that Israel, Thomas? Was it? That was, no, that was Austria. Austria, was it? Okay. Yeah, right. that was Austria. Sorry now for all this knowledge. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, what's I'm, yeah, I'm no, very impressed, Thomas. So that was, you know, Jay, but you don't want to know anymore. <laughs> but that was like, that was different. Like, I think like he had Lordy back in 2006. Yeah, yeah. So it just goes to show, like, different things have won the European. Do you remember back, I think it was a number of years ago, when Russia put the grannies into it? Oh, God, I, I do. I think it was. I do, yeah. 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 God, sure, that was and, mad, too. <laughs> yeah, that, that was brilliant. Like, but, like, that was fun. You know, I know I shouldn't be saying much about Russia because of the way things are going like, and all that. But, like, that was back then. Like, yeah, sure, and here, look, man, like, what is Ireland sent? 
We send the worst thing ever. We send the we send the turkey. I know, I know. <laughs> that that will so, that will never be forgotten. Thomas, no, thank, thank you, be. thank you for coming on with me, Thomas. No, and, no, and, no, and, yes, and I, I'll hold this piece of tape against you uh, at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't. <laughs> we won't take much of it. Take care, friend. Thanks, Thomas. Bye bye, Janelle. Let's go to uh, Teresa, uh, who's with us as well. Teresa, good morning to you. Good morning, Frank. And good, good to talk. I think you might have been unimpressed with Bambi Thug, uh, Teresa. Were you? Well, I, I, I came in from work on Friday night. I normally record the late late show, friend, right? Yeah. And I happened to sit down and look at her live. So, anyway. I thought, my God, what's going on on the Late Late Show? It was a lot of screaming and everything. So I suppose if I looked at it again, I might change my mind, but I didn't think much of it, to be honest with you now. Did you not? And and no. was there anything else that you heard that you thought was better? I didn't, I didn't think the talent on uh, for the Eurovision was good anyway, regardless mm. of, the, of the girl that, that got through. And uh, do you remember the old national song contests where it would be a standalone program and uh, the I like? Know, well, well, do you yeah. think that would I be a better way to to do this? And I think so. Yeah, I don't think the late late show is a good platform for it. To be honest with you, yeah. Because you have different viewers now. People don't the, the view the viewers have changed over the years of yes. the late late show. Do you know what I mean? Uh, you're, you're in in what way, Teresa? What how how have they changed? Do you think? The itself has changed, uh, friend, because not, we're not getting the same people watching the late show at all. Yeah, yeah. It's all. I mean, the, the young people would would love that, I'm sure. And why not? There's nothing wrong with it. Like that's we have to change with the times, I guess. Well, you see, seemingly so, uh, Leanne, who's producing today, who is horribly young, uh, is telling me that a lot of the young people are out there saying this is great. You know. So. Exactly, and some of them are saying that it's terrible. So like a half and half, really, isn't it? It's not my cup of tea, but then that's not fair for me to say. Are, are you a Eurovision person? Would you sit down and watch yeah, Eurovision itself? Eurovision. Yeah, I loved Eurovision. Oh, my God, yeah, we watch Eurovision every year, yeah. Yeah. But I've, I've gone away from it. I have to say I don't watch it anymore. Do you not? I don't. I haven't done for years, Brian. Right, and is, is that because it's gone kind of out there in some way? It's... I guess so. It's kind of lost. I don't know. It's kind of lost his mojo, hasn't it? I don't know. Well, it's probably become something different in that it's how the songs are staged seems to be vital to who wins and that yeah. kind of thing, you know. So. It's a different scenario now. I mean, if that girl was on The Voice UK, I wonder how she'd get on. Oh, there's a very good point now. Do you Just... know what I mean? Because the guys, listen, I watch The Voice UK now, right? Yeah. And they're in their seats, Bren, and you've been the musical man here. They listen. They listen. And if something doesn't actually get through to them, they won't turn their chair. That's a very good point. It's really based on how good a singer you mm. are. Yes. Well, you have to listen very intently. Now, I'm a big Tom Jones fan. Mm, yeah. Super singer. So, like, I always go from what he says. Right. He likes something very original. He likes, he just like anyone copying other people's stuff or whatever. Yeah. He likes to be used, you know, that way. But uh, I wonder if it would be different if, if she was on that type of a show. Well, I think it probably would because I think a large part of her success on Friday night was how it was staged and, you know, the choreography and, you know, the projections and all of that. Yeah. I think, uh, but you... like... Sorry, friends. Everyone's coming. Yeah, some people troubled about the kind of the darker element of the song, I suppose, and some of the, as some people are describing it, the demonic thing and all of that, the witchcraft. Does that bother you at all? I don't think that's one. I don't know. That's one of the two families, isn't it? 
Yeah. I don't think that's her either. Like, I mean, she's an artist, I think, the day that... It's not her cup of tea, but obviously that's her thing. Well, we'll see how it all pans out. And uh, thanks very much indeed, Teresa, and great to talk to you today, and thank you for that. Somebody saying, uh, will yourself and Muriel cover that's all God, yeah. Uh, and social dancing, i say that would be huge. They could use it for, for the slosh. Uh, Doomsday Blue coming up next. <laughs> uh, news and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Karina Mahaga Pat, and uh, welcome back to the second hour of uh, Tip Today. Huge reaction to our discussion on the Eurovision entry, and uh, we will go back to that, I think, in the final hour. And uh, we'll hear from some more of our listeners where that is uh, concerned. But one of our listeners, Deirdre, on to say, Fran, will you stop referring to Bambi as she? If they identify as non binary, their pronouns are they, them. It's insulting to keep calling them. She, her. Not sure if I like the song, though. Uh, I didn't see the performance, but going on the comments you've been reading out, I think I might enjoy the dancing and the visuals as well. That's in from uh, Deirdre, who's in Kilmanahan today. So let me get this right then, Deirdre. Um, she's not... So I have to... I have to say they, them. So Bambi, they, them. So when I'm talking about her going to the Eurovision then, I say they, them going to the Eurovision. Which isn't a bit confusing at all, but it's an age thing, Deirdre. I'll get it together. I really, really will. Um, Dementia is something that we speak about on the programme quite often indeed. And the Dementia Understand Together campaign, that's led by the HSE. And they're working in partnership with the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland, uh, Age Friendly Friendly Ireland, the Dementia Services Information and uh, Development Centre, Age and Opportunity and Healthy Ireland as well. And right throughout uh, the week we'll be talking about uh, dementia uh, quite a bit here on the programme. When it comes to supporting people living with dementia, you might ask, is there something I can do? The answer is actually more than you think. Nine in ten of us believe people living with dementia have the right to be active citizens in their communities. But sometimes they need support to stay connected and engaged. It starts with understanding that everyone with dementia has a different experience. So talk to them and their family. Ask them how they are and how you can help. Look around your community. Is it dementia inclusive? Is your social or sports club welcoming people with dementia? Is your shop accessible and are spaces and amenities easy to use? It's often the small things that make the biggest difference. By being the one person who asks, what can I do? You are making that difference. For more information, visit understandtogether.ie or call the National Helpline provided by the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland on free phone one 800 341 341 from the HSE. 
Now it's time for some financial advice and I'm glad to be joined as always by our financial expert Francis O'Hanlon from FOH uh, Financial Limited. Uh, good morning to you Francis. Hi Fran, you well? Uh, I'm not too bad at being Monday. I know, I know. <laughs> and and all of that. Um, will, you, will you start by answering a question? Because one of our, our listeners emailed to ask, can I ask, my husband is self-employed, I'm on his books, can I apply for a carer to my parents? So I presume that's to be a carer to my parents. Yeah, so parents. I mean, when, when this person says, I'm on his books, I presume they mean that they're working for their um, husband and that they're not working for more than 18 and a half hours per week because that's the rule when it comes to applying for carers allowance. So yes, I would say possibly they would be entitled to this, but just remember it it will be means tested. Um, So from June of this year um, the income disregard for carers allowance will increase to €450 a week for a single person but 900 for a couple. So if a couple are earning um, €900 or less then possibly this person would be entitled to the care to get the carers allowance. So the carer must be over eighteen. They must pass a means test. They must be uh, providing full care to a person who is not in the hospital. The usual rules or in a nursing home. Um, they cannot live in a hospital or or a similar institution. Obviously themselves. Um, and the big thing is not be employed, self-employed, do voluntary work, training or education courses for more than 18 and a half hours per week. So I think therein lies mm. um, the, I suppose, the, the the answer. So when they said that they're on the books, they're working for their husband, I presume they're not working for any more than 18 and a half hours. It comes down to a means test and also, you know, as well as the income, consideration as to what they're earning between them. There's also cash income. So if they have, sorry, capital income as in if they've savings or whatever it be, the first 50,000 of any savings that they have is disregarded when it comes to the carer's assessment. Mm. So it's not straightforward. And what about the person that you're caring for then? Stipulation around that? No, I mean, again, obviously that they're in need of care. So I presume, you know, you can't just willy-nilly say, oh yeah, um, I want to care for somebody and they don't need the care. So I suppose, again, it needs to be determined that the person that you want to care for is indeed in need of care. Uh, and I think we kind of touched on that before and there's certain criteria that determine that. But all of that is assessed within the application. So again, we always tend to veer into um, social welfare or social protection issues. Yes. You know, it, it's a fairly intricate area. So again, I'm not an expert in social welfare. I obviously have to know something about it within the game we're in. But I would say, look... Department of uh, of Social Protection are very good. They're very helpful, um, but the rules okay. are the rules. Okay. That's so one thing to be mindful of. Somebody else wondering if I'm getting disability and I'm coming up to the old age pension, uh, do I still have to apply or will it switch automatically? This is something I think you dealt with. A few yeah, and I would say, look, from my understanding, you will still need to apply because it's a different type of benefit. Uh, and you know, look. On all these questions, Fran, we always have links to help people if needs be. But, you know, again, the department will help them. It's my understanding that you should apply for the old age pension three months before you reach the age of 66. Um, 
so, however, if you've paid social contributions in more than one country, then you need to give them six months before the age of 66. So I think just apply or at least contact the Department of Social Protection and they'll tell you whether you roll on automatically because your disability benefit um, into the, the state pension. But I don't think that's the case because they're different benefits and they're they're assessed differently, especially when, you know, that minefield and bog that we get into every now and then about how many stamps you have to have for yeah, the state pension. Sure. That all comes into play here. So how can it roll seamlessly? I would say you need to be careful. Um, it, you know, it was funny. I was speaking to somebody the other day and they were working in the UK for a long time, came back probably here since maybe mid-90s, kind of only went back to work in maybe around 2010, that that time, and they just assumed they were entitled to the full state pension here. You know, they had worked here in the 80s, and I was going, whoa, no. First thing you need to do here is get a handle on what stamps you've got. So I suppose what I'm saying is that's really important and it feeds into every area of, of social welfare. Right, so there's nothing automatic about, nothing. about no. any of this. No. So what category is the once-off tax back on the mortgage uh, interest, Francis? Okay, so this is the the one that we've mentioned. Yeah. This is the, the, the temporary tax relief that came into play. It was announced in the budget last year where people that had mortgages below 80,000... Sorry, above, I have to be careful here. Below 500,000 and above 80,000 at the 31st of December 2022, um, they can apply for tax relief on the assumption that the interest, that they had an increase in repayments and an increase in interest in the year 2023, okay? So really, this is going to be for tracker and probably variable rate customers. Somebody who was fixed it doesn't apply to them because mm. their interest would, yes. you know, would be yeah. less, you'd assume, on a reducing balance in the year 2023. But for somebody who was tracker or variable, the expectation is, based on the increase in interest rates, that they are, the interest that they paid in the year 2023 should have been greater than 2022. So therefore, they can now apply to get a relief on, a, a temporary relief on this. And what do they need to apply for Okay, that, so what they're that. going to need, and we kind of covered this off before, I think the portal is now ready to take this through my revenue, but again, don't be surprised if you go in and it's not. I would expect it will be, in, if not now, in the coming days. Um, so you need your certificate of mortgage interest for 2022. You need your certificate of mortgage interest for 2023. And that's prop- that's the one that's maybe going to delay people because they mightn't have that yeah. yet. Uh, and confirmation of your mortgage balance as of the 31st December 2022. So that's important based on the uh, I suppose numbers that I gave you. Can't be more than 500,000. Can't be less than 80,000 at the 31st December. And by the way, it must be your family home. This is not on an investment property or whatever right. it be. So then you just go into my revenue, be it that you're PAYE um, or whether you're self-employed, you go in through your relevant system and then you can upload those documents, okay, via through Revenues My Account or Ross and then you can claim your tax relief from there. All right. Do you have a certain window in which to claim? Uh, I, not that I'm aware of, okay. but I would say you know, why would you be delaying, yes. you know, 
if you're considering, normally you've about four years to go back. Well, I just meant with the hold up of getting hold of the 2023. I know, I would say you'll be fine. I mean, you know, it's not even if you don't get this until March under natural correspondence, I would say that's fine. In fact, normally you can go back four years. Now, I wouldn't encourage you to do that, to wait that long. But um, for somebody maybe who who misses this and everything that's been said about it, it might be that they can possibly have that four-year window to go back. But I would say do it now. But don't panic. Like, if you're not going to get your, your 23 cert until March or April, you still have loads of time, in All my right. opinion, to apply. Um, will you ask, Francis, how long does it take to repair your credit rating? This is a famous hobby horse yeah. of, of yours, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Five rating, years. Yeah. Five years. Right. <laughs> Sorry, I sound very... But it's... Even if it's something trivial yeah, or absolutely. what we it's, might see as being trivial. It's five years. It's five you years, know, no matter funny, what. I only saw a trivial one as I would consider it last week. Um, and here I am thinking, oh, God, right, how are they going? I now have the concern we're not going to get this mortgage through because it was on a couple and one of them had a glitch on a credit card. So it's not a given. Oh, they take all the other boxes, but now all of a sudden there's this credit card that had... A, and, and and I know it, and I can see it. It's uh, €1,270 because it was the old €1,000 credit limit and they had it and they he forgot about it and he only paid it subsequently and because he, they'd actually moved and the correspondence was going to his mother's address. Blah, blah, blah. He cleared it the minute that he became aware of it or remembered mm. it I think is is the truth but the reality is it's there now for five years And is there any appeal process there no. Francis? Like if it, 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 There's no. not Fran I mean the reality is he took out a credit card he applied for a limit the, there's rule terms and conditions in relation to how to use that credit card and he didn't adhere to no. those okay so um, the reality is this is a 1270 euros balance it wasn't even 1270 I think it was 989 euros this could affect the mortgage Absolutely. decision wow. so again back to the point five years from the point of correction by the way so if you have a glitch in the year 2024 right and you sorted in the year 2024 say you went say by for one reason or another you went two months in arrears in the the year 2024 um because stuff happens to people even after you correct it that's going to show for 5 years okay whilst so say the loan say you said oh look oh god i forgot about that credit card let's mm. go back to the credit card again oh I'm, do you know what i can't handle that credit card i'm clearing it i'm closing it off it's 5 years there from the point of closing or correction Wow. And if you don't close or correct? Then it's it's kind it, of it's it there in that that's a stranger one because it kind of tracks on. So it's going to still be there in, in the window pane of five years, okay? But the banks usually can only other, see other banks' information for two years on the CCR, on the credit check report. But there's also information that shows them a broader history for five years. But of course, if your credit card was with X Bank and you're applying for a mortgage in three years' time with X Bank, they still have your broader history on on their their well, their it's, database. It's so a cautionary tale, Francis. Isn't we're forever it, you know? on about yeah. it, Fran, aren't we? Five years. That's all I'd say. Another listener, I'm a carer for my son and we can't get the fuel allowance as my husband gets a small pension from the US. 
about the uh, same amount as the state pension here. We live in fuel poverty because of it. Is there any way around this? Now again, this is um, you know it's awful, isn't it? Isn't and it I just? mean, again, I, just the first thing I said was, you know, how old is their son? But I suppose that doesn't really matter. I'm just thinking if if this person is a carer, would the son be entitled to the fuel allowance? Because it seems that the parents oh, yeah. are not, the mother is not, and the rules are the rules, and they're tight and they're means tested. So look, I, I would say, you know. They need it. They can't be in fuel poverty, and I mean, there's lots of people that are frank. Yeah, That's the reality of it. Yeah. So I think they need to speak to either their local county councillor or um, their TD and local TD, and they need to speak to the department maybe and explain their situation, or you know maybe speak to Saint Vincent de Paul who may be able to help them as well. My God. Yeah, that's, uh, that's tough for sure. The, the Budget uh, 2024, the changes to the carer's allowance, France. Yeah, so that might help maybe the, the this person in relation to the fuel allowance, and that's what I was saying. And mm. again, it was kind of leads back to the first question we had there where somebody was asking, could they apply for the fuel allowance? There are changes imminent in from June 24 that were announced in the budget last year as to... Um, you know, from a couple's point of view as to how much you can earn and for a single person. And to get the fuel allowance, um, again, it's it's the tie criteria. Mm. Um, so I really, you really need to speak to yes. the department yeah. Yeah. on this. And if the, you're still hitting a block wall in that you not can't get it and you need it, then you need to speak to your local county councillor, TD, or indeed somebody like society... St. Vincent de Paul. All right. Um, uh, rates, uh, crystal ball time for you. We have the crystal ball in front of you, Francis. Yes, um, can you make some predictions for <laughs> us? Can I take this with me? Um, okay. Yes. So, look, there's a lot of talk about interest rates. And um, I think the big thing I want people to hear here is don't panic. You still have to make a decision on your not take, I'm calling it micro. It's not micro to you, it's macro. They're your own finances. So regardless of what's happening in the bigger world, inflation, geopolitical issues, you know, you name it, waiting for the Fed to kind of twitch one way or the other because they read everything and every word they utter is, you know, pe- the, the financial markets it's read into this. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have to do what suits you, but there's very, very strong indications that interest rates are going to start coming down this year. They don't know when, but they're now kind of saying it's not a matter of if. I was only just reading this morning. It's not a matter of if, it's when. Mm. So you need to hear that. And you need to hear that when you're making a decision in relation to your mortgage. So if you're, I'm particularly concerned about people that are on fixed rates Mm. that are coming out and they're panicking, saying, oh my God, I have to fix again. And they're grabbing onto these rates that are probably fairly inflated. Okay, because remember, the banks are going out buying money when it comes to fixed rates. So, you know there would be one school of thought and we've had this discussion many times that variable rate to the true rates obviously tracker was the ultimate rate um and i would say just don't panic don't for those that are coming out of fixed rates don't be mm. jumping oh my god i have to fix again and jumping in because you see a rate within what you're being offered by your own bank and thinking you have to take this first of all you have the option to look beyond that bank 
But the other thing is, if you have the, the I suppose, the headspace and the comfort in your head, because you have to be comfortable with what you're doing, maybe settle. Just wait a while. Wait and see what happens with rates. Maybe stay yeah. variable. Because what I'm afraid of is global issues. I mean, you know, there seems to be an escalation in war in the Middle East. Absolutely. And I mean, things and, you like... Know. <laughs> Hearing rhetoric this morning about, uh, let's not even say it, because, I mean, again, it was so loosely just thrown in there, but third world wars. Yeah, I mean, I know. to be honest, if that happens, France will be all the one, nobody would be really worried about the, the you know, those but, issues. But yeah. again, let's, these things are just thrown out there. People have to live and have to, mm. you know, survive financially and everything, and they need some direction. So who knows what's going to happen? It's all about inflation. Okay, Mm. so that's the reason that the central banks increased interest rates. That risk has receded. Okay, you would wonder what's going to happen, how the Red Sea situation is going to feed in to um, inflation Mm. and how it's going to feed into energy prices. And that could drive up inflation again. But they don't seem to be overly concerned about that. You'll know. I think they're still pulling back because they don't want to start increasing interest rates and for inflation to take a turn because they're going to have to go back on it again. I think they want to be very sure that the that the tide is definitely out before they start to decrease interest right. rates. But I mean, a lot of factors yeah, are played though. A lot, lot of factors, and it's grand to say don't panic. But I mm. mean, it's so complex, Francis. You can understand why people will be. Yeah, absolutely. But they need to seek advice. Yeah. Right, yeah. you need to seek advice. You need to be aware of your own financial situation. You need to seek advice, and you need to make a decision or be assisted with a decision yes. based on your own circumstance. Be- We've always said that. Yeah, because you listed there some questions you need to ask yourself. I mean, yeah. can I afford a further increase? Yeah. Right so, now, uh, like, know? let's look at worst case scenario here. If somebody's looking at a rate, and if rates go up again, how would you be fixed? So it's all well and good for the likes of me saying, you know what rates are going to start coming down, stay variable. Next minute, rates go up again. How would you be able to manage? Yes. Right? Would you be able to cope with that? And But Fran, an awful lot of people might find that their variable rate is below the fixed rate they're being offered anyway. So again, be careful. You know, is this a good time to be fixing? Is this, okay, it might be the best rate within my bank at the moment that I can get to fix, but is this a good rate? Mm. Is this a good time to be fixing? Well, let me ask you that. Well, I would say... Is it a good time to be fixing? We're, just think about where we're at in the rate cycle. Yeah. We've just come through almost 18 months of increases. Yes. Okay, so I don't know if it's the right time to be fixing because rates are up, right? Right. If you fix in now and rates drop, you're up in the air and you're yeah. going to possibly pay a penalty to get out. So you have to think about the cost. So whilst I would say, can you afford it if rates go up? I would also say, can you afford to break out of that rate, right? The penalty, if it's fixed and rates start coming down and you're thinking, God, I made a mistake here. Mm. I, I fixed in, it was too high. I can get a much better rate now. Can you afford the possible penalty you would face to come out of the fixed rate you fixed into? So again, yeah. you know, it's about I, knowing I, I'm your just own. so delighted I've gone way past all, all of that. Uh, if people want to talk to you, Francis, or talk to your team, how can they do that? They can contact us um, through www.foh.ie or 052-61-29487. All right. Always good to talk to you, Francis. Thanks very much Thanks, indeed. Thanks, Fran. We'll take a break back in just a moment. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, Deirdre, as you know, was on to us earlier on and she was correcting me in terms of uh, how I refer to Bambi Thug and uh, making the point that uh, uh, Bambi is non-binary and therefore I should um, identify her as pronouns they, them. Uh, a lot of people on to... Disagree with that to some degree. Look, I I have no problem with that. I have no problem with uh, uh, the chastisement from Deirdre uh, either. The only thing I'd say to you is, and I think it's a universal problem, is that it's a bit confusing when you refer to Bambi as they, them. They think you're referring to a band because obviously it's plural. Um, And it's a little bit confusing like that. But anyway, look, however she wants to be identified or however she wants to be referred to, I have no problem with that uh, whatsoever. Delighted to be joined now uh, by Thomas Conway. We're going to talk global politics. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. Um, Can we start with with India? Because it's it's interesting what's what's happening there. That notion of politics and religion... um, not being mixed. Um, it's certainly being mixed in India. It's well. certainly being mixed in India and I think it always has been historically. I mean, with the partition of India back in the 50s and you had this mass migration of Muslims into what is now Pakistan, uh, there are huge links between politics and, reli- and religion and they persist to this day and in this day and age it is the Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi who has kind of cemented those links. He did something very consequential last week. He presented over the consecration of a new Hindu temple. So they built a new $220 million temple in a place, a northern city called Ayodhya. Uh, It had huge symbolic significance. There used to be a mosque there. The mosque was torn down by Hindu Hindu nationalists during the 1990s and there has been kind of work to rebuild it uh, in the form of a Hindu temple since. So this was this major event last week. You had... And, and how are the Muslims feeling about this? The Muslims are feeling very aggrieved and it is... Uh, further entrenching, I think, the divide between Muslims and Hindus across the country. But that is something that Mr Modi has been actively doing anyway. He's seen as a strong man leader. When we think of, you know, you talk about Trump, you talk about uh, Vladimir Putin. Narendra Modi is kind of the strong man leader of the Far East. He he styles himself in kind of a... In, in a in a similar vein to Trump, he gets on well with Trump. They had a kind of a bromance going. He appeared at campaign rallies for him in the past. Uh, so he's he's a very curious character. He's a very clever political character and a very skilled politician. By all accounts, he's well liked across India because the Indian economy is so vibrant mm. and is doing so well at this present moment in time. But there is no doubt he has entrenched the divide between Hindus and Muslims in the country. And it is something that is going to feature increasingly prominently in the election campaign because we have an election, much of the world, of course, going to the ballot boxes in 2024. Uh, we have an election in India as well. Now, Mr Modi is a shoe-in there. He will more than likely be elected to a historic third term as Prime Minister. But he will use this 
this consecration of this Hindu mm. temple. This was kind of the it's informal. It's symbolic in some way. It's it? symbolic. Yeah. It was yeah. the informal launch of his campaign. Wow. You had celebrities there. You had former cricketers, Bollywood movie stars. Schools were shut, uh, you know, and it was beamed on the streets. It was a major thing. It was a big thing for India. And for, what's the story with his party, Thomas? So he's leader of the BJP, which is the Bharatiya Janata Party. They kind of they were once a fringe movement. Uh, they kind of sprung from nowhere in the 1990s, cultivated a kind of an image as a Hindu nationalist grouping, and it is Modi who has elevated them to another level, mm. basically. Well, they'd sit on the right, would they? They would sit on the centre-right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, centre-right, if we're looking at the ideological spectrum, I, I, I hard to compare them. A little bit like the Republicans in the US, okay. I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, but they have a strong Hindu nationalist current, so a strong religious current running through them, and they're effectively unchallenged. You have opposition parties. We've spoken before about the opposition Congress party led by a man called Rahul Gandhi on the far side, uh, the main opponents of Modi. He hasn't really done anything significant, so to speak. He uh, he went on a march, kind of a solidarity march across India last year, failed to gain enough traction to pose a viable threat to Modi. So Modi is standing there uh, with you know, with the ultimate power, he is more or less unchallenged at the top of Indian democracy at this present moment in time. And it looks like he will coast to another election victory later in the year. It, it looks like there's great optimism from an economic point of view, but it, it's not quite perfect, is it? No, it isn't. And there are huge, like, I haven't been to India, but, you know, from watching clips and documentaries huge and poverty, television, yeah. huge poverties and yeah. huge economic disparities. They also have real administrative problems. They apparently apparently have a terrible education system uh, highly egalitarian unegalitarian, unequal uh, which is a real problem in terms of churning out uh, new graduates to, to fill skilled positions. It has a growing digital services technology sector is one thing that can be said for it. So, you know, we often you hear about call centres in India which you'll often uh, be attached to on the phone lines. Yeah. They really do have an expansive technological industry there, one that is growing constantly uh, and one that they need to feed with new and young graduates. But no, there is serious poverty in the country, uh, particularly in cities like Calcutta, even in New Delhi, uh, places like that, Mumbai, people living on the streets, people living in shanty towns. It's a serious problem. But many of those are supporters of Modi because they appeal uh, he appeals to their kind of religious leaning. He appeals to uh, their. Is there some sort of social welfare system there? They do have a. They do have a, a relatively, uh, what can I say, generous social welfare system that that uh, tries to, I suppose, resolve problems for those in poverty. But it doesn't really seem to work when you see the level, just the sheer depth and scale of the poverty that's in the country and the huge economic disparities that are there. So I mean, Narendra Modi, like India, is. On the one hand, it's thriving. On the one hand, it's flourishing economically. Its figures for, for economic growth, 7% in the last quarter. Those are staggering figures. The numbers are, are are huge. But on the other hand, you have this other reality, this other side of the coin, which is an entirely different place, a place where people are struggling to get by, struggling to make ends meet. So, And where climate change is concerned as well. I mean, they're often pointed to, to as being... In, in terms of emissions, yeah. yeah, and they are one of the chief uh, offenders when it comes to climate change. Themselves in China are obviously a huge source of carbon emissions globally and account for a significant proportion of the global 
global methane and, and carbon gas emissions. Interesting. Uh, and you mentioned China. Is there a relationship there? There is a slightly, it has become a rocky relationship. So China or India is now posing a direct challenge to China, which is very interesting because for years China has been this rapidly growing power in the Far East. It has been the dominant player. Now India is starting to, to rise up, starting to almost overtake China in terms of population. I think 1.4 billion is what is heading towards uh, in the Indian subcontinent at the moment. Uh, geopolitically, there is a rivalry there. India has built up its military, has built up its military capacity in recent years. So it is posing a threat to China and it's not something Xi Jinping will like to see happening. Now, they still have a a relatively stable relationship because they need to have for yes. trade purposes there are significant trade links between the two countries but certainly India is the next rising superpower that's there in the world at large we have in, we have the, the United States we have China India is kind of the uh, the third wheel India is the next in line and it will only grow and it will only expand as and the just years go on just briefly before we move on I mean how does India feel about Gaza for example how does India feel about Ukraine have we any yeah it has kind of taken an ambiguous geopolitical stance on those issues so Modi is very careful around the sensitive issues like Ukraine he has positioned himself somewhere in the middle because he, you know they do deals with Russia as well they trade with Russia obviously they would have trade in the Middle East uh, in respect of the, the Israel-Hamas war yes. he has taken kind of an ambiguous stance there as well so he has been very uh, very astute and positioned himself very carefully along those uh, ideological lines. So, you know, he's a clever politician, Narendra Modi, and he will do anything to cling to power. Uh, and his geopolitical views and opinions are, I think, evidence of that. Interesting. Now, we mentioned Gaza there, and uh, it brings us to South Africa's uh, genocide case against uh, Israel. Um, can you just explain this to us and give us the background? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. I mean, South Africa brought this to the International Humanitarian Court, Humanitarian court of Justice, which is the chief court for the UN, for the United Nations, in The Hague, in the Netherlands. And it is basically a claim that Israel has committed genocide in its uh, persecution of Gaza in its response to the Hamas militant attack of last October 7th. Uh, so it is a as you can imagine, Fran, it has been highly divisive, hugely divisive. You have some. And, and just for clarity, sorry, Thomas, to cut across you, but the, uh, genocide, the deliberate killing of a large number of people from a particular nation or ethnic group with the aim of destroying that nation or yeah. group. So that, that sums up. As, what as stated is. by the Geneva Convention, yes. as, as yeah. you just quoted there, that is, yeah, that sums it up in a nutshell. Mm. Now, people can make up their minds as to whether Israel is guilty of this themselves, but certainly within the international community, there are mixed and divergent views. Ireland, for instance, has effectively supported, given tacit support to to the genocide claim. It has argued. I think there was one of the one of the judges is Irish, and she made quite a a compelling or a, a moving statement mm. in front of the court a couple of weeks ago, uh, condemning Israel and condemning it. Others others have taken the view that it cheapens the. Uh, it cheapens the, the real meaning of genocide, that this is not a genocide, that this is Israel acting in self-defence, acting in retaliation towards the Hamas attacks, which, of course, it is, but has it gone too far? Has it escalated beyond that? I suppose that? the irony of it is, I suppose, genocide as we know it would refer to the destruction of the Jewish uh, people. In the Holocaust. In, in, in the and Holocaust, that is precisely yeah. the irony of it. That That is the real. And for Israel then to be, to be accused of such crimes, of committing such 
crimes. I mean, you can re- you can see how it would hurt, how it would sting the Israeli populace uh, and the Israeli psyche. So what what could the court? Do? So the the genocide ruling is likely it could take years to come to come to pass. So. In the meantime, in the interim, the court can order Israel to to stop its fighting, uh, to stop its war on Hamas. Now, will they do that? The answer is clearly no. Uh, Israel has the power just to simply ignore the warning signals, ignore the court rulings, which is kind of where international law and this whole field of international law falls down. You can have courts, you can have courts and international bodies like the UN, the UN Secretary General, issuing rulings and issuing declarations only for them to be just simply ignored by different countries. And I think it must get really, really frustrating for people sitting on those committees, sitting on those courts, uh, to watch their rulings just mm. ignored well, like that. By the way, why is it that South Africa is taking this route? Why, there why is South a link Africa? there between apartheid South Africa, between the African National Congress Party and the Palestinian... Yeah. And uh, that's been the case for some time. That's been yes. the case for the yeah. past 30 years, for the last yeah. couple of decades or so. Since the apartheid era ended in South Africa, there has been kind of a, a link there. Just like there's links with the Irish Republican movement and the Palestinian kind of solidarity movement, uh, there, I suppose movements against uh, oppressive rulers uh, which are trying to take down kind of the those in power and I suppose there is kind of a kinship that relates them and brings them together so there have been long historical links there uh, which which have been further cemented by these recent events. You make a very interesting point, We well I certainly confuse the ICJ with the International Criminal Court and of course they're two very different They're two very different entities, yeah and it, yeah. Is, an easy, it is an easy mistake to make the ICJ. They both sit in The Hague in the Netherlands, uh, so they're both they're both seated and located in the same place. Yes. But the criminal court deals with uh, deals with other other kinds of war crimes. The likes of Slobdan Milosevic uh, in in Serbia and mm. the Balt in the Balkan Wars, things like that. So there is a distinction to be made between the two of them. But they are both international bodies. Uh, they are both. Uh, powerful organizations but when when the power when it comes to implementation Fran that is where they really fall down when it comes to implementing implementing these rulings that is where these courts uh, really become powerless effectively they can only do as the countries adhere to so if Israel chooses to ignore them Israel will choose to ignore them and continue on the question is will other countries withdraw funding will they withdraw support for Israel that is I think the real danger in this scenario from an Israeli perspective it's going to be very interesting indeed isn't it uh, but in the meantime thousands of people are dying and in the meantime that should be at the forefront uh, of people's should, minds you, I think you'd imagine so wouldn't you uh, we ask you to look at a political uh, figure um, and uh, W.B. Yeats. W.B. Yeats, yeah. indeed, yeah. I mean, I have here an Irish poet, a dramatist and a writer, but he was so much more than that, really. Yeah. He was a political activist in his own way, and I suppose this is a, a political segment, and it's it makes sense to speak about mm. his political leanings. He had some fascinating views throughout his lifetime. This really surprised me. I thought I knew about W.B. Yeats, but I didn't know this aspect of yeah, it. Yeah, a kind of a right-wing tilt in him, a kind of an attraction to 
authoritarian leaders like fascism. Benito. Fascism, yeah. essentially. He composed a number of songs uh, for the blue shirts, for Owen O'Duffy and the blue shirts. I don't think they were ever used, but he had this deep fascination uh, with kind of fascist and authoritarian movements, just like he had a deep infatuation with Maud Gone yeah. from a romantic perspective. So there are plenty of different elements to, to Yeats. Of course, for, for, first and foremost, of course, he was a literary great, mm. a writer of great esteem and I mean his poetry his volumes of poetry speak for themselves mm. and they tell tales you know the, he, people separate them into three distinct periods his kind of early youthful period his middle period and then his, his old age I mean I, I kind of like poetry from his from his early years the Lake so Isle of the romantic uh, stuff like, yeah. like like the English poets of the of the previous Pre- century precisely yeah. influenced yeah. by the lights of William Wordsworth yeah. uh, Percy Shelley Bissey and 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 more figures like that yeah. so he had a real he clearly had innate talent he came from an innately talented family his brother Jack B. Yeats was an esteemed painter yes. so obviously a wonderful painter, a wonderful painter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah obviously this kind of artistic flair existed in the family mm. Uh, and did he begin to distance himself from fascism then coming towards the uh, the war or what happened there yeah he slightly he he began to realize i think that uh, that these movements were fundamentally dangerous and fundamentally dangerous to the stability of Europe and the world. Uh, and he began to cautiously move away. And you can even see it reflected in his poetry. Some of his poems from the kind of wartime era were quite dark, quite allegorical. They had deep political messaging in there. He would quote, make various quotes uh, in reference to to global events that are shaping the globe, uh, that were shaping the globe at that moment in time, so he was a really he was really astute and he was really paying attention to the world around him. But a really clever poet, uh, a poet who I think will be like he's remembered as one of our greats quite correctly. Yeah. Uh, but he he was great in so many different ways. He had his his way of writing. He had his way of communicating. He had that love affair with Mulgan, which mm. lasted until his deathbed, mm. essentially. Well, it, it fueled so much of his work. It fueled so much of his work. It was yeah. the ammunition that literally got yeah. him going, uh, and that he would write what he would write this love poetry to Maud Gunn. And of course, he never married her. She yeah. married uh, Sean McBride. Yeah. yeah, Sean McBride. Yeah. Uh, and she kind of dismissed his attempts to woo her. So, I mean, there's kind of a hint of melancholy there. It is sad in a way. There's a bit of sorrow. Uh, that Yeats never got the the kind of the marriage that he so so adored. He did marry. He mm. married a woman called Georgina Hyde um, in his later life and mm. enjoyed a, a relatively stable relationship with her. But it was never the the love affair with Morgan that he so so badly sought. Yes, of course. If she didn't break his heart, we probably wouldn't have some <laughs> wonderful work. So it, I suppose precisely that's, that's the positive. Um, just before I let you go, will you look forward to, to the coming days for us? What should we be looking out? for Thomas. Yeah so plenty of things happening there's growing alarm growing we talk about the rivalry between the US and Europe there is now kind of a growing disparity there when we had last week a US execution in Alabama carried out with the use of nitrogen gas. That was an amazing Yeah and it astonishes me America is just it continues to astonish me as a country the way we still have these punitive methods in certain states. I mean, this is like harking back to the dark ages, well, isn't it? Because I mean, this is a particularly cruel form of... A particularly cruel this? form of execution. Yeah. Occurred in Alabama uh, of a prisoner there who had been on death row for a number of years. The EU, of course, has slammed it as completely outrageous and in violation of various human rights 
uh, obligations. The US has kind of dismissed these. Uh, the death penalty exists widespread across the United States. Mm. Uh, it is still there and used in many different states, which is, you know, which is quite remarkable in this day and age. But obviously, when it is so deeply rooted in the culture, it's a little bit like gun culture, I think. I get that sense as well. It's embedded in the cultural kind of fabric of the United States. And... Uh, People, people see it as a way of achieving justice. It's, it's interesting. Uh, what about Turkey as well, uh, involved with that uh, NATO bid from Sweden? Yeah, so yeah. Turkey has finally signed off on Sweden's NATO bid. You remember there was all kinds of ructions about this. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan didn't want to sign off. He believed that Sweden was housing uh, Turkish terrorists, essentially, members of the Kurdish uh the Kurdish ethnic minority who are sheltering in Sweden. He's finally signed off on, on Sweden's bid. So now Sweden have the green light to go ahead and become NATO members. And that this is, I suppose, another uh, another boost for the NATO alliance uh, and another uh, hit for Vladimir Putin, so to speak. Mm. Uh, because the broader and the bigger NATO gets, the, the more threatening it is to Russia. But I suppose... It will have created alarm as well because when we see the conflict in Ukraine and Russia festering and at the stage that it's at, it's at such a, fra- a fragile of juncture course, yes. at this point in time. I need to say there are some people who believe that it was the expansion of NATO that has us where we are now. That fueled but, this in but, the but, first but place, it's, it's precisely. A whole, it's a whole other discussion, I'm sure you... Hungary uh, rocking the boat yet again? Yeah, Viktor Orban, he's at yeah. it again. And yeah, trying to block Ukrainian funds to the EU... Or to EU funds to the Ukraine, rather. We had this before Christmas, the 50 billion euro, which Orban effectively vetoed at the European Council summit. Uh, big questions now over, over whether he will let uh, this money flow through or not. There's going to be an EU summit towards the end of this month, which and the all-important decision will be made. He stepped out of the room the last time and allowed the EU members to vote on allowing Ukraine uh, accession to mm. EU membership. So he abstained. Essentially, abstained, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Will he do something similar here? Remains to be seen. He is a real thorn in the side of the EU. He has yeah. remained a thorn in the side of the EU. He, you know, he may have abstained from that vote, yes. but certainly... But of course, his country then isn't able to, to benefit from, from no, funds. No, there are pandemic the recovery yeah. funds there yeah. that they so dearly need, and they are being uh, denied at the moment. So that will be playing at the back of his mind I, as well, I, I love certainly. That, give us that Hungarian saying for when things are not going as a... Yeah, it is under the frog's ass, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a typically Hungarian <laughs> saying. I saw it during the week. I read it oh, indeed. Very good indeed. Tom, it's always a pleasure. Thanks, Thanks Fran. Thanks very much indeed. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat. Uh, welcome back. I was speaking to uh, Franz O'Hanlon there about all things financial in the previous hour. One of our listeners says, I work in the Department of Social Protection, Fran. Uh, if you're on disability, you would need to apply for the pension three to six months prior. 
So there's some good advice now from the horse's mouth where that is concerned. So if you're currently on, there won't be a rollover of some kind, in other words. So if you're on a disability pension, uh, you need to apply for that pinch, pension uh, three to six months uh, prior. Now, after hearing the clip of the Eurovision entry earlier on this morning, many of our listeners were left kind of stunned, while others fully supported uh, their performance now, huge reaction to this, and uh, my good friend Joe Noble is with me. Good morning to you, Joe. <laughs> good morning, friend. How are you? I'm very well indeed, uh, Joe. You you heard the clip this morning. You heard the piece. What, what did you make of the song? Um, song. Well, <laughs> yes. I didn't know what she was saying, so I wouldn't regard it as a song. But however, I suppose she was all right. Like, but um, I I hadn't a clue what she was saying. Yeah. I got the odd word, but it was mostly just screeching and 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 lipping around the place, like. And did did you see it on Friday night, uh, Joe? I did. Did you? I did. Right. Yeah. Oh, did because I did. Um, I did. I looked at the whole thing. Yeah. Um, on Friday night, and there was one or two that I thought were good, but then again, but just you look at it makes no d- difference anyway what or who they put through because it's all turning political now anyway, isn't it? They vote for the country rather than the person. So no matter how good the song or performance is, you, th- you think we have no hope of winning it at this point? I wouldn't it? say we have no hope. Like It depends, I suppose, on what it'd be into screeching. Like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I heard that you're thinking of writing a song yourself, in fact. Uh, I was actually going to internet because I'm great at screeching. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and what would you screech about, Joe? But you, know, you don't have to screech about anything. All you do is make noise. Like I, I didn't know what she was saying, so oh, like, that's... wouldn't make any difference. Like <laughs> I could throw in an odd word, I suppose, here and there. Like, uh, uh, but, what about the choreography and all of that? Would you, you do oh, that? That was blinding me. Yeah. Hell. Do you know the first thing ran into my head? I thought, God, what? help anyone that suffers from epilepsy because. That would drive me fucking mad. Oh, stop, Joe, stop, stop. Well, it would, Fran. I mean, flesh and light, don't it? It doesn't that affect misfortune as that, you know. Yeah. It, well, yeah. it affected me. <laughs> and I don't have it. <laughs> I don't know what it means. But, um, no, at, at times I was trying to squint me. I thought my eyes were gone queer. I was trying to see where the Dickens is she on the stage now because these lights were... Were flashing, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but is that not what's required for Eurovision now, Joe? You know, it seems that it has well, to be a big, Eurovision big fancy stage gone, show. Yeah, Eurovision's gone queer. Do you think so? I indeed I do, Fred. Yeah. I mean, I used to, I know years ago, and they come out in their lovely dresses and what have you, and, mm. and it was great. But then gradually it started to kind of. I suppose, look what hate is the sign of the times, isn't it, really? That, that's it. what I was going to say. Is is it a case that, you know, it's an age thing with us, Joe, that we're looking at it and wondering what the hell is going on there? Or, you well, know. no, yeah, well, I wouldn't really consider it an age thing, friend, because, you know, like my eldest fella is in a, a rock band type of yeah. thing, and God knows they practiced in the shed, and I'm into, I'm into, we say, Disturbed and Metallica and all that. I love all that kind of music. Yeah. So it's not that I'm just listening to Daniel O'Donnell. Nothing, there's nothing wrong with Daniel O'Donnell. He's a lovely chappy. My mother always said he was a lovely, clean-cut fella. Yeah. But however, yeah. um, but I'm not. I'm into all sorts of music, but I couldn't consider that flipping music. Yeah. And, I couldn't. And, and, and yeah. you see, music is so subjective. We all have different views on it, I suppose. But when, when the guys oh, with yeah. the angle grinders came on and won it one of the years, I said, ah, here. Yeah. 
I know. mean, come on, like, that yeah. was a bit much, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, I mean, I could come on with me little hatchet. Um, you know, I, I, mean, I have this notion of you with a, with a hatchet now, running around the stage well, I have and a screaming. Little, I have a little hatchet. Have you? I have a little tiny, yes, a little tiny metal hatchet um, <laughs> at the side of my fire, just in case anyone decides to break into me like or anything <laughs> like that. But no, no, all jokes aside, actually, I had to use it. Do you know why I don't? I'm going to tell you a funny story, getting away from me, I want. Okay. Um, I baked, or didn't bake, you don't bake, um, a biscuit cake. Okay. And I saw a recipe that you do could do it, instead of doing drinking chocolate or cocoa, we say, you do real chocolate. Okay. And one of my sons love biscuit cake, so I thought, oh, here, I'll do a biscuit cake for him. Well, I'll do two. I'll do one for me, one for him. Good. I don't need biscuit cake anyway, and this is where my little hatchet came in handy. Um, I, I baked, done the biscuit cake, and I went to cut me on. Holy hand of Moses. It was like cement. I couldn't coat it. So I left a towel that way. Well, now, to this day, he doesn't know, and I don't know whether he'll be listening or not. Well, Somebody's got to tell him. Somebody's got to tell him, Joe. What <laughs> did you do? I put a towel down on the floor, and I got me little hatchet, <gasps> and, I, and, I, and I chopped up the yolk, and then I put it into a Tupperware yolk and gave it to him. He's still alive. I mean, that was about three four I never saw Darina Allen do that, Joe. No, well, oh. I didn't either, but I had no other choice. I thought, how did Dickens, he won't be able to cut this. I'll have to do something with this thing. I never done it with chocolate after that. So you might use your little hatchet as part of your choreography for, for yeah. Eurovision. Yeah, yeah, you never I know. Could, couldn't, couldn't I? Yeah. I mean, in fairness, like, with what's winning lately on, yeah. the, on the Eurovision in general? Yes. I mean... Come on, like... Okay, screaming around the place. It, it, somebody made the point, it was myself and Muriel going to cover that. I, it would make a good slosh, yeah. I'd say. What, what? I, I told, wouldn't it? And no, I can't do the slosh now with me wonky hip. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> but no, it would, it would. Well, I'll tell you one thing now. What? You and Muriel would do a thousand billion times better than that sort of would with your lipstick on your collar. Well, she could chase me around the stage with an axe, I suppose. And <laughs> Actually, yeah, you did a video one time of the name of the song has gone out of my head, but you done a video where she she was chasing you around the place, and it was brilliant. It was <laughs> so, brilliant. So you never know. Maybe Eurovision twenty twenty five might be the thing, Joe. You never exactly. know. Exactly. But come here to tell you. Can yes. I tell you something, friend? You Do you know the way your one came on there and she said somebody do claim it was safe on disability. They have to look for the what you might call a three to six months. Yes. Right. The pension. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's disability. If a person is on invalidity. It don't. It, it it changes automatically. Oh, does it indeed? Oh, yes, because I was on I was on it, and I checked bit prior to get becoming pensionable age, and I was told I'd have to apply, and then I went to citizens' advice, and they said no, and I didn't. It was changed automatically over only if you're on invalidity. You see, you are a mine of information, Joe Noble. You know that. No, there you are. I'll let you go and practice your, your new Eurovision song, Joe. And... Will with me, to, actually, what I'm doing now is trying to move my treadmill from one room to another. That's what I'm doing. On your own? Yeah. Oh, Would you mind the wonky hip? I had two on each now, take him Good luck, Joe. Good luck. Bye bye, Joe. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's poor Joe uh, moving her treadmill at the moment as well. I don't know. I don't know. Let's go to Donald. Donald, good morning to you. Good morning, friend, and good morning to your listeners. And good to talk to you today. Eurovision one, what do you make of it, uh, Donald? 
Well, Fran, I don't know where we're going with this thing now. Um, I, I, the first thought I had was Dustin Mark II. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> You're not impressed, or, Donald, no. Or, or, or rather still, daughter of Dustin. <laughs> Although in this lady's case, more likely daughter of Dracula. <laughs> well, she goes for that kind of image, you know, the, the kind of gothic uh, witch-type image. That's, that's her thing. Well, I, I, obviously it is, Fran, but... Uh, looking at the, uh, actually no, friend. To be honest with you, uh, and your listeners, I didn't see this at all last night because we deliberately avoided, and we were actually looking at uh, old um, uh, DVDs of One Foot in the Grave, oh. which was actually. Oh, I love that program! I love that program. Yeah. In, insanely funny. I mean, yeah. if it can go wrong, it will. Vic- it Victor Meldrew was it? Was it oh, yeah. Victor Meldrew and yeah. his and his companions, shall we say? <clears throat> Absolutely yeah. fascinating. But a friend of mine sent me um, a video clip of the winning entry. And I said, and we had a look at it. I said, oh my God, said, this is just off the scale stuff altogether. Uh, into my mind now, this is just totally demonic and uh, an ode to devil worship and Satanism, as I saw it. Wow, you, you're taking this very seriously then, Donald, are you? Oh, it, this, is, this is just nuts. But of course, like, this is probably a part of the advertising image, like, you know, because some in some quarters this sort of thing is popular and it might garner a few votes. Mm. But then I also, my Machiavellian side sort of said, this is a dastardly plot by RTE and the Mandarins therein to make sure we don't win because we can't afford to have a national song contest in the first place and we certainly can't afford to host Eurovision, considering their shenanigans with the um, toy show, the musical, and how yeah. to lose 2.2 million in one easy swipe. And, and the fact, uh, just the front page of, I think it's the Indo today, saying how few people are now paying the licence fee either. So I take your point uh, on that. But do you, know, do you know the strength? It might backfire if that is their 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 view, because uh, some of the pundits around the world this morning saying there's a good possibility that uh, Bambi, Bambi Thug could do extremely well in the Eurovision. Well, you know, it's like the old story. Um, if a jackass stood for Do- uh, for Dalair, he'd probably get votes. <laughs> and when we have a few of those in there, because I, I, I've just seen a, a, a video tip there of Radical Gorham doing his thing about um, advertising to the world in several different languages that we're going to provide free houses and accommodation for migrants. Uh, well, <laughs> well, that was at the start of the. The, it the, was the yeah. issue, yeah. <laughs> and and what what do you make of that? I mean, what do you make of where we are, where that's concerned? Uh, we're we're verging on disaster, basically, because we we haven't got room. Yeah. In since we don't have we don't have places to put people to start with. We just don't have it, yeah. and we don't have a plan either by the looks of things. And that's really what's getting an awful lot of people who have no problem whatsoever with bringing people in, but like, where where will they stay and will they have a decent place well, to stay and all of that too? When you consider this, friend, back in the 1930s when this state was on its knees economically, we're building houses yeah. to spend people, you know, and, yeah. and, and we could do it, but now we, we can't do it because we've uh, allowed the market to rule okay. The market will look after itself and those that invest in it, mm-hmm. number one, it won't look after people. That never happens. And, and that's the problem. And can I go back to the song? You, you were telling Leanne you're sick of the woke nonsense in Ireland. Absolutely. This woke business started with a few 
students in the States a number of years ago and it seems to have caught on. Yeah, on the university and, campuses there, yeah. Yes, yes, and of course, like, well, in between smoking dope and whatever you're having, having yourself, Fran, I suppose, this idea garnered, uh, shall we say, attraction. But it's just, it's just nonsense. Like, mm. if somebody wants to identify as a plank, I don't care. Mm. But don't expect me to believe it or accept it. Because the idea that um, you're using pronouns to describe yourself that are not grammatically correct is, is insane. Yeah, and Deirdre took me to task about that earlier on. Seemingly, I referred to Bambi as she, and because she's non-binary, her pronouns are they, them. And I, I just, it didn't dawn on me, to be honest with you. It was no disrespect to the young lady whatsoever. But... Um, if you're of a certain age, you're, you're probably getting confused by some of this as well. And I'm talking about myself here, well, Donald, not, not, not well, God, No, 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 no. I'm in my 50s, no, friend, and yeah. I'm not confused in, in no way, shape, or form whatsoever. But I, it, it just, somebody has to call it out. This is just nonsense. And that's exactly what it is. And well, if that's her wishes to be referred to as they, well, then... Well, that, 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 that's fine, but that yeah. doesn't make it any less nonsense. Right. You know? But but you know? like if you met Bambi and if you refer to her as she in some way and she corrected you and I'm sure sure she would do so with respect and say well no I identify as non-binary so therefore I'm they them what would you do then I mean would I you... would tell her up straight I don't accept that in the story because you have to be honest about it Brandon because it's, it's just nonsense in the story right but but There's no... but she she might feel strongly about it and it's it's well I feel strongly about her too right. You know, <laughs> so that makes two of us, I suppose. But though, if I saw her coming down the street on a dark night, I'd probably run in the opposite direction in terror. <laughs> that's, that's terrible altogether. Do, do you think there's a possibility, though, that it might do well? It might. It's uh, possible, I suppose. Uh, and then again, considering we've had Dustin the Turkey in, and we've also had. What was it? Um, the Israeli entry a number of years ago, yes, uh, yeah. which did rather I think well. It was a trans person, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yes, yeah. And, and and that musically wasn't great either. I mean, this particular version of a song, if you could call it that, uh, is no way musical. Now, Brian, you know your music. Uh, I know. I respect that. But this is not music. It's not. Yeah, well, funnily enough, I have to say, now, I watched it this morning because I was working on Friday night, uh, uh, Donald, and I didn't see it, but. It has a quirkiness about it. It has something about it, all right. I mean, it might be... Well, quirk could certainly be ascribed to it, all right, <laughs> in a general sense. I'm not selling this to you, Donald. Sure I'm not. Uh, no, oh. I'd be a hard sell, no. I'm, I'm, I'm a seasoned old, old consumer, as the fellow says. Are you? Yeah. And uh, I, 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 I don't buy a pig in a poke. But, uh... <laughs> right, OK. But you didn't... I can't ask you about the other entries, because, like myself, you didn't see it on... Uh... No, no, because yeah. uh, we, we sort of felt at the time that, well... It's going to be another also-ran effort because we have the usual people from the RTE canteen wheeled in to give their expert view on things and all the rest of it. And it really, like, they were all, shall we say, I've seen the the, the replay of it. Yeah. Uh, They were all singing his praises, like, you know, no one daring to be critical. And do you think, is that the way things have gone in general, this sort of single narrative about everything? And Oh, there's an absolute narrative on everything. Yeah. If you don't have the right view now, Fran, you see, you'll be demonised if you're pardoned upon. And, <laughs> you see, um, 
yeah. with the upcoming sort of hate speeches coming down the road, we will probably won't be able to have this conversation. Yeah, it's interesting. You feel strongly about that, obviously, Donald. Oh, very much so. Yeah. This is most dangerous, and people need to literally wake up and smell the coffee before it's too late. Somebody is just reminding me here that Joe Noble, who was on just before you, Donald, she referred to Bambi as your one. So she's in, she's she's in big trouble. She's in big, she's even in bigger trouble than me now. Well, well uh, just like Joan, I also have one of those small little metal axes just in case. <laughs> Donald, great to talk to you today. Look after yourself. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you, Frank. Take care. That's uh, Donald on with us today. All right, we'll take a break. Back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie 1800-938-007 if you want to chat to Leanne and that's a free phone number it won't cost you and uh, the text and WhatsApp is only 33113311 Tipperary Women in Business on Tip FM funded by Commission Naman with the television licence fee Now, this week for our Women in Business segment, I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by a great neighbour of ours here in uh, Gurton Flora Business Park. Uh, Dr. Marie Osborne is with me and she is co-owner of Osborne Chiropractic in uh, Clanmel here. Good morning to you, Marie, and good, good to see you. Good morning to you, Frank. And you're very welcome uh, too. You are just down the road from us here. Yeah. Literally just down the way, yeah. can stroll yeah. up and come in and say hello. Very good. Well, we're delighted to have you today. This is our our women in business slot, but I have to talk to you about being a chiropractor because I'm intrigued as to how you uh, got into that aspect of uh, medical health in the the first place, Marie. Yeah, well, we're going back a while now, Fran, but I suppose I was always interested in health and human health, especially at school. Biology was my favourite subject. And I used to do some athletics outside of school. Um, there was a strong athletic team in my uh, area and I used to do some training there and I was on the relay team. And at about age 16, I got injured. Um, I had some low back pain and some leg pain. And I went about getting that, you know, seen to. But I couldn't find anybody who could really give me a solution or a sustainable solution. So I had to stop training. Um, I wasn't able to run. I wasn't able to do much. And I'd had, you know, x-rays and everything. And everything looked, you know, structurally fine but I was still left with this symptom or this pain in my low back and pain down my leg Um, and an aunt of mine had been attending a chiropractor um, over in Kilworth at the time and she had said you know why don't you go back there there's you've nothing to lose really so my mum took me back there and um, it just opened up a whole new world to me I couldn't believe you know the exam that the chiropractor had done with me um just checking everything to see what was working right what wasn't working right what was they were looking for the the cause of why I was having these issues um and he started a care plan of some chiropractic care for me and within about 6 8 weeks I was back full training and back running with my friends on the relay Incredible. team and 
and from there, my interest in chiropractic just deepened, you know, and, yes. and in human health. And if you were to ask, if you were asked to sum it up, Marie, what, what exactly is it? So chiropractic is working with the spine and the nervous system to restore good function, optimal function in the body through natural means. So it's not using medicine or drugs, but it's looking at addressing the root cause of why something is there and working to um, correct the function in the body and optimise that. So normal spinal movement, normal alignment. And then another system that chiropractic looks at is a system that's inside of our spine, actually, is our nervous system. So our nervous system literally runs the show when it comes to our health. It's the boss. Um, It's the brain. And our brain then uses one major path to communicate with our body. And that pathway runs right through the spine. So when we have good spinal health, it helps us then to maintain really good nerve system health. And our nerve system is what keeps our health managed on the day to day. For example, uh, if, if we were to go out for a walk, our heart rate would increase. Um, if you get a cut on your finger, you don't have to think about healing it. Your your body just does those things. So that self-regulation, automatic regulation, automatic healing, all of that is from, comes from our nervous system. And our nervous system's main pathway is the spine. It's very, very interesting. Of course, most of us just reach for the painkiller or, yeah, absolutely. or the anti-inflammatory or something like that without thinking that the body can actually help itself. Can help itself. And when we give it that little bit of extra help, for example, through chiropractic care, then we can restore optimal function. And that's, you know, one of our um, values and goals when we establish the practice here is to be able to provide that service and options in healthcare for our community. And tell me about the business side of it then. I mean, how long uh, ago did you set up here in Clonmel? We set up here in Clonmel 16 years ago. Um, and I'm, this is my 21st year practicing as a chiropractor. Wow. So we moved from Dublin and I was I grew up close to Clonmel. So Clonmel was familiar to me and to John, my husband. John is from Dublin, uh, but he was familiar with this area, too, obviously, from, you know, visiting home. And we in Dublin, we owned three different practices. Uh, we didn't have children at that time. So, you know, life was fine and it was very busy you know, most of our time was spent working, Fran. Um, And then we decided to start our family and my first son was born and I had made a decision to be at home when I had children. So values and priorities changed and so our life changed and um, my involvement in the business also changed. And we were finding just with life in Dublin, it was still very busy. Uh, John would go to work early in the morning and our son would be gone to bed by the time he got home at night. So we moved to Clonmel then in search of, you know, really a, a better quality of life for us. You know, we were looking to change that and the pace of life here for us was different. So we moved here. It's very interesting. And I suppose that's at the core, Marie, of what this slot is about, being a woman, mm-hmm. juggling all those other aspects of your life and yeah. still trying to be successful in, in business. It's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot. And an expectation to be successful as well, you know. So uh, for me, it was a great move here. For John as well, it was, you know. Yes. So we started the business from scratch here um, in 2008. So it was the start of the recession. And we just had to get the head down and, you know, get get the business built up. So, Did you have an issue convincing people that chiropractic is a way to go? 
We didn't really. Um, A lot of people are looking for ways in which they can uh, help themselves to stay well. And I think over even, say, the last 10 years, there's been another shift in people's attitude to health. I think we're becoming more aware that we can help ourselves, we can do things to stay well um, and try to avoid you know, sort of reactive measures or getting into, um, you know, health conditions where we're really, you know, Mm. in a reactive position if we have, you know, chronic things going on. So I think a lot of people now are very interested in knowing and in educating themselves on how to, how do we stay well? What can we do to stay well? And I think there's a huge surge. I mean, if you you know, drive around Camel or even up and down the bypass I come that road to work, mm. you'll see people out running at all times of the day. And that's, a, it's a shift, you know, people are walking yes. more. People cycling, are, huge so, numbers yeah. of people cycling at the people moment. People are yeah. aware of what we eat has an impact on our body. I think we're more aware that our choices have a consequence on our health now, that it's not just down to genes or random choice yes. or bad luck, you know. We know we know now that genes load the gun, but lifestyle actually pulls the trigger when it comes to our health. It's very interesting. From from a business point of view and because you, you share ownership with, with your husband, when it comes to financial dealing or dealing with other companies or whatever, being a woman, just explain that to me. How does that fit in? Is there still that tendency to want to deal with John as opposed to Marie? or <laughs> Is that real or what yeah. about that, Marie? I, I can't say that that has been my experience. I yes. think I've, I've always felt um, very equal and on a level with John at the practice, both in dealing business to business and um, chiropractor to mm. patient. Uh, we you will have some cases where people might prefer to see John, uh, might prefer to see me. They might prefer to see a chiropractor who's female. Um, but I think that's down to personal preferences. Mm. You know, it's it's almost like a hairdresser. If somebody's used to going to see somebody, then they they like to stay with that person. But I have to say, mm. for me, I haven't had that. Experience. And when it comes to dealing with banks or, yeah. as you say, other businesses or whatever. What, what about that? Is, is that yeah. the same? I it, mean, That was the same for me. Was it indeed? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and why do you think that is in your case? Because we we hear some horror stories from, from other people, but is, is that because you just don't accept any nonsense? Is that, is that it and you do your own thing? And... Yeah, perhaps. Um, I'm not quite sure. I think for me, I... When we started the business here, I felt I needed to get very clear on what it is I wanted and how to set my life up so that it was working for me. Um, And that was me being involved in the business. Now, I'd have to say when my children were small, John was working full time and I was here more on a part time basis. So John did deal a lot with Mm. banks and all of that. But any time that I have had dealings with them, I haven't had any issue you know, or I can't say that there was anything that was negative um, from my side. What about business then and supports for business and uh, all of that? Because, I mean, sadly, we're hearing recently about businesses being forced to close down because mm-hmm. of energy costs and inflation and all of that. Well, what about your, your own business? I mean, was there any stage where it was difficult? Or? Um well, obviously, starting off in a recession back in yeah. 2008, that, that's never an easy, you know, first thing. Uh, but we 
we had to get the head down. You know, we got out into the community. I joined the Business Network Ireland, the BNI group here in Clonmel, and that suited me at the time because it used to meet at 7am on a Friday morning. Wow. So that was before John would go to work, so I could go and do that meeting. And in that, I got to know a huge amount of local businesses, not just in Clonmel, but in surrounding towns from Care, Cashel, Dungarvan, um, Carrigan Shore, lots of opportunity for networking there and helping people understand the nature of our business and the the type of client that would be interested in what we had to offer as a service. So that was one of the things I did. And then there's a fantastic uh, women in business network mm. in Clonmel as well. Yes. And I joined that um, when we first established. So, And did you find that particularly useful? Fantastic, yeah. yeah. And again, for networking, for getting word out there about your business. So all of those things in the beginning were wonderful. And we would do, you know, trades, show stands, etc. So it's getting yourself out, not staying, you know, within. Um, and back in the day, mm. I think we still had golden pages even then. For wow. Life has changed. Well, wow. <laughs> hasn't it just... Uh, yeah. I have to ask you about COVID because... For so many businesses, it was so destructive uh, to the. How did you manage to come through that period of time, Marie? So that was a difficult time. Mm. Um, obviously, it was, especially the nature of your business, of course. Yeah, obviously. because yeah. we have to see people in order yeah. to serve them. Um, mm. So that was a huge change. Um, when COVID hit, I was actually in Western Canada at the time um, on a business meeting, actually a, a four-day meeting over there, and I came back to um, find John had made the decision that we would close the practice as every, everything was just going shutting. I think it was initially for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously then that started to roll. Mm-hmm. And initially it felt okay because it was short term. But then as, you know, the lockdown really was el- elongated um, and you're, we're a small business. So after a few weeks, you're still paying rent, you're still paying, you know, staff wages etc etc so we were closed for a total of 12 weeks and we were very fortunate and lucky to be in the position that our business survived that we had you know backup within our business that we could financially support that um but it was very difficult to then come back in so once health and social care opened we could open but in a obviously a very different capacity So we were down to one chiropractor working. Um, we came back with no staff initially. Um, so it was literally one person coming in, see the chiropractor, one person leaving and then setting up for the next person. So it was at a far reduced rate, you know, than what we would normally But the business see. picked up then the uh, as we emerged from, from yeah. COVID restrictions and all of that. Yeah. yeah. So we stayed, obviously you had to stay within the guidelines and the restrictions that were advised. And then as things slowly opened back up we had a lot of people coming back and very grateful to be able to get seen you know so before i get uh, let you go can i ask you to look to the future for me marie if you would mm. uh, for the business and for yourself i mean what, what are you seeing because again we're hearing from a lot of people about how difficult it is out there in business what, what do you see in the future i think um, well, I suppose it's it's hard to predict, isn't it? But I, if I was to look at the past and think that the past then maybe can give us an idea of the future, I think once you have established a solid base um, within the business itself, that you're providing a service that's valuable for people, that you have something to offer that people can benefit from, um, then it will survive. And once you... like. 
obviously there's work in a business. I work as a chiropractor, you know, in my day to day mm-hmm. work. But then you do have a business course, um, yes. to run as well. Yeah. Um, and so I think once you have that, once you're aware of those things um, and, and keep working, I mean, one of the things that has been hugely of benefit to us was we had a mentor, um, right, a business mentor. And as the business has changed and grown over those years, uh, some of the mentors have changed. But I was always in contact with somebody who has already done what my goal and vision were. And so you had that, you know, wisdom from somebody um, to say, here's what's worked for us or here's, you know, what doesn't work. Um, And so instead of sort of, you know, going at trying things out yourself, you could lean on their wisdom. Um, And that has been a hugely valuable thing for me. Um, And I think, yeah, you know, once you get in there, set your mind to something and go after it, um, you can do it. Well, you're certainly doing it and we want to wish you the very, very best for the future as well, Marie. Lovely to see you today. And you too, Frank. Thanks very much, Lee, for coming into us. We'll take a break. We're back with more. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today on 1-800-938-007. Welcome back to uh, Tip Today. We're still getting in lots and lots uh, of uh, correspondence about uh, the Eurovision and stuff. So I'll tell you what, we will go back to it tomorrow. We promise you we will go back to that particular discussion. But right now, something completely different because the relic of St. Bridget has returned to her hometown in Kildare after about a thousand years and hundreds of people gathered in Kildare on Sunday morning for a special church service to mark the historic um, occasion. Now, later on this week, we will celebrate St. Bridget's Day and uh, our newest bank holiday, of course, in her honour next uh, Monday. But I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by Maura Barrett because Maura has something very, very special happening tomorrow at Cashel Library. Good morning, Maura. Good morning, Fran. Um, first of all, tell us what's happening tomorrow. So tomorrow, um, we we celebrate St. Bridget every year in the library. We do something to honour Bridget. Um, so I'm giving a talk in the morning about just the life of Bridget, uh, you know, why her legacy continues to endure. Um, that's on at 11 o'clock and we'll... we'll give people some rushes and maybe and show them how to make Bridget's crosses and that Pretty kind good. of thing. And everybody so welcome along everyone's to, welcome. to yeah. that, Maura. Yeah. Yeah. Why are we still so fascinated with Bridget, do you think, Maura? Um, it, it's it's very interesting, um, the whole... Like, Bridget, we, we know her as a saint, but in fact, she's not even a saint anymore. But her legacy, certainly, it's she's one of... You know, Bridget began. She she is one of the oldest goddesses that we have in Irish myth. Mm. You know, from um, from the pagan from era. the pagan. Yeah. yeah. So she, so she began. You know, that's where we where we first encounter her is in pagan mythology. There's lots of accounts of her. This this Irish deity who had a sort of a triple aspect, and she was the goddess of spring. There is an old pagan festival called Imbolc, which falls on the first of February. Um, and it, it comes, it, it's from the Irish um, for in the belly. And it's the time of the year when, you know, when 
lambs start to be born. Yes, and fertility. Yeah, fertility, yes. yeah. Um, but it's also halfway between the winter solstice, which is the shortest day of the year, and the spring equinox, when we have equal day and equal night. So we have this festival of Imbolc, which, which falls on the 1st of February, or around, it's a lunar thing, so it comes, you know, and it um, is midpoint between those two dates on, on what was known as the Celtic calendar. And we, some of our oldest passage tombs, you know, say on that, there's one called the, in the, the Mount of Hostages, which is on the Hill of Tara, this has an alignment where the sun comes in and the rays penetrate the cairn on the 1st of February. And there's another one on the, in up in Loch Crew. Mm. There's a cairn at Loch Crew where the sun rays penetrate the cairn. Um, and the, so there is this very, very old association. You know, she, she is known as a sort of a sun goddess. Mm. Her name means fiery arrow or exalted one. And it was said that she was born on, you know, as as the sun sun rose over the horizon wow. at dawn, and that that's why she had red hair, you know, yes. and so she so she was she was very very revered, and then what happened was as we became Christianized, her legacy she became Christianized. Mm. So she just endures and endures, and there's so many traditions around her, yes. you know, that are practiced. Is it possible her. more that there was a number of Bridgets? There is that whole school of thought yeah. that Bridget was, was in fact, uh, a title. That yes. was conferred. Oh, on, that's yeah. very interesting. So it was something. So there was a numerous bridges, and indeed there is lots of evidence for that. You yes, know. because I read uh, Uno Hagen's book uh, yeah. that she wrote along with her husband Colin, and that portrays. Bridget as the original feminist in an awful lot of ways. I yeah, mean, yeah. I, I was listening to your previous uh, Marie, and I was thinking she's a mo- certainly a modern day Bridget. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. She, I mean, she like in the old old ancient Ireland. Anyway, it was very much a, f- a female based society. Yeah. The whole notion that women were the givers of life that that was the thinking. Um, so we have that sort of, you know, we talk about Mother Ireland. We have that practice in Ireland where the female is revered. Um, so that tradition is there. Um, and the original Bridget, let's say, would have been, she would have been the daughter of the Dagda. The Dagda is is our most ancient good god. He is the guy who's responsible for building Brunabonia for Newgrange. Yes. And he was he was um, a man who had he you know he has he had this cauldron of plenty which never ran dry, um, and and you know he was able to he he was the foremost god of the two a day Danon. Um they were one of you know they were the people who settled in Ireland yes. yeah so again this is pre Christian oh it's pre Christian yeah. Yes. yeah so she was the daughter of the Dagda and she was also um, a sister to. Oam or Ogma, the guy who invented writing, the old Celtic secret form of writing. She, you know, she was a sister of Govnu, we know him as the Gobansayer, you know, the, the, of metal crafting and metal. So he was the old sort of blacksmith. And again, there was magic in, in smithing because you turned metals, you, you changed, it was a sort of alchemy, you know. 
Um, That's incredible. And when when she was Christianized in some yes. way, or the notion of Bridget, are you saying to me she was never canonized? Is that, is that what you're saying? No, never officially no, canonized. Bridget was never canonized. In fact, a, wow. a lot of a lot of the early, you know, inverted commas Christian saints. saints yes would originally have been very noted Druids in the Druid practice in Ireland. And they became, like sainthood became, sort of got conferred on them. Because mostly they, you know, the status of Druids in Ireland was very high. They were second to the, the king. And they would often have perhaps been dynastic or of the same family. But they had special powers. They had a whole way of, of practising. And when Christianity took over, when Patrick came to Ireland and, and sort of there was a sweeping changes across Europe, the Druids just became Christianicized. So a lot of the early, what they call Celtic saints, sainthood was conferred on them. And Bridget was one of those saints. And so sainthood was conferred on her. In fact, the first Irish saint to be canonised was Lawrence O'Toole. And he, he was, you know, much later, mm. you know. Yes, of he, course. Yeah, yes. so he, he was in... And in the connection with Kildare then and uh, what happened there, the re- the relic coming home and such a turnout yeah. of people. I mean, incredible. Isn't yeah. it amazing? Yeah. Now, that, that's interesting because um, Kildare, you know, the Kildare, the Church of the Oak, mm. again, Dara Oak is, you know, it's from an oak grove where the, the Druids would have practised, you know, the... Oak was the, the, the groves of druids and oaks are synonymous. Um, and she, you know, the original pagan goddess was a, was a daughter of a druid. Even the modern day Bridget, the saint, was mm. the daughter of a druid. Mm. And she is, you know, she is said, to, her, she had a sacred number called 19, um, where there were nine, she set up a dual sort of monastic settlement of men and women yes. in Kildare. Um, and she she kept a sacred fire, you know, a sacred flame. Yes. And this was tended continually to, burning. Yeah, yes. it was tended to by women only, and it was only only women were allowed to tend to it. And it it there was nineteen women, and and this was to do with nineteen phases of the moon. You know, there's nineteen phases of the moon between, sorry, nineteen yeah, nineteen phases of the moon. You know the way the moon rises at a certain time. It takes nineteen times for it. It's called the metronic cycle yes, for it cycles. To, is it? Cycles yeah, for it to yeah. come back and rise at the same time mm. again. So that that was kind of a. They observed the stars and solar things, mm. and they knew they had a lot of wisdom around that. They even say that Pythagoras came to Ireland to speak to the Druids to you know because they understood trigonometry. The mathematician, yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, but she, um, so she had this fire, this sacred flame. And this was tended to by women. And so she set up this monastic settlement for men and women. And in fact, she was ordained a bishop by, the, you know, um, because she she had had stood, the, the story goes that she had stood back. She was very modest. There were 19 other women who were going ahead of her. Yes. They were, and, you know, the old, the old practice um, in early Christian Ireland was you would take the veil, that's what they say, yes. for women. And men t- were, they took the whale, which was like they, they took the tonsure, they shaved their heads. Yes, whereas women L- like took the, the veil. the monks did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that, again, that goes back to an earlier practice from the Druids where, you know, the call, the, the, the kylock, you know, they, they the hood. wore a hood. The hood. Yes. Yeah. So, um, 
So she hung back because she's being modest. And as she was as she was processing up, the sun rays lighted on her head, and the the, the man, the bishop who was the cleric who was conferring her thought she was special right. and he, he made her a bishop. That's he gave what, her the male right. Yeah. Isn't it incredible how further ahead? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, what, what, the misogyny came much, much later, later, obviously. Yeah. yeah but but yeah. you're saying that women were much more recognised and... Yeah, yeah, uh, they were. And, and I guess, I mean, like, you know, a lot, I mean, I, I mean, globally, you know, we live in a patriarchy, but it is... It's certainly in Ireland, you know, we look at, like the certainly the old Celtic way, way of working revered women and they were much more equal in society. Even the early Brehan laws yes, give us, course, you know, yeah. examples yeah. of much more equal. But, um, you know, we, we, we had and even the Vikings were considered quite equal. They, you know, they women played equal roles. But the Norman way of working when Nor- Normans came into Ireland, they had the feudal system. You know, which was much more, you know, you you liege and your lord, and it was much more linear, and you you know, and yes. that, that's and then Christianity as well, and it was all about property, and you know, obviously, if 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 clerics were able to get married, you couldn't really keep the property, you know, yeah. a lot of so the, the whole system didn't lend itself to to, to equality, you know, I suppose. Yeah, yeah along, along now the a way. lot of the early, you know, the, a lot of the early monks, the monastic settlements before the Reformation, they would have been dynastic, you know. Yes. Yeah. What, it, it, this seemed, I'm sure to you, like a strange question, but d- did she marry at any point? Did she have a relationship yeah. at any point? So the so the goddess uh, Bridget was was married to a guy called Bress. So she, she I'll explain to you there. She was the daughter of the Dagda, and the Fomorians were another tribe who were who were who were their enemies. The um, but the Fomorians, her husband Bress was was considered quite. Um, well thought of and liked, and he was liked by the the Tuatha Dé Danann. So this allegiance was formed. Mm, mm. So she was she was a daughter of the Dagda, very high up, um, very you know in the Tuatha Dé, and she would have married the Fomorian king, and he became High King of Ireland for seven years, and he is credited with teaching the Tuatha Dé Danann agriculture. Wow. Yeah, and he he was considered a very just king, and she had a son called Ruan. You, you know, you you have you you have many places in Ireland named after mm. Rowan, um, Kilruan in Wexford being one, and she, he he was killed. There was a you know you've heard of the Battle of mm. Maitura, mm. the Second Battle of Maitura, where where they were they were the two of Dead and were fighting with the Fomorians, and he was would have been killed at at a special healing well that they had, the. Two a day were able to replenish themselves because they went to this healing well. Sacred wells were very yes, and so yeah. many Bridget's wells around yeah, the country. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a, there's a there's something like fifty six recorded Bridget wells around the country. Isn't yeah. it amazing? And many more. I'm what sure. do you think? She this isn't fair to ask a historian about the future, but wh- what do you think she has to offer, particularly to women today mm. in twenty twenty four? I mean. Because there seems to be a, a sort of a movement towards there's paying homage to her. There's a real resurgence. Yes. There's a real resurgence. So what, what's she offering to women now, do you think? Um, 
I, I mean, I think it, it, she speaks to the, you know, she speaks to the powerful female way of going on. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I think what women now in modern society, you know, the, the, your previous caller talked about juggling and the things that you yeah. have to do. Most women do a double day. They go out to work and they come home and they work at home. But it is that we are now beginning to find our own way of working, our own way of being in the world, you know, because most of the systems in the world, they work around patriarchy. They don't mm. work about or work around what suits the needs of the family and yes. childcare, yeah. all of that. That still falls mostly to the woman in the household. So you say to me they have to work around the, say the nine to five thing or yeah. whatever is set down as being yeah. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know most, it's most women that stay at home if they decide yeah. to stay at home. You know, I mean the woman that stays at home, the debt that she pays to Irish society is on, you know, if you yes. were to pay for those services. Um, but I think, she, so she's, and it's also, I mean the whole, I, I don't know, I mean I think there is just a resurgence in goddess energy, you know in the world. You yes. know, it's it's just the time. And and we had that lovely thing that came out of lockdown where we were given the bank holiday, the extra bank yes, holiday. Yes, and you think that, that is a good thing, I do, yes. I do. And I think it's lovely that it was on her feast day. You know, I think that that's, you know, a lovely thing and it's great that yeah. she's recognised. I, I have to admit, I'm fascinated by her. Whichever yeah. Bridget I'm talking about, I'm absolutely fascinated by her. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure the talk tomorrow will reflect... Um, yeah. The wonderful uh, creation that uh, that she was. So tomorrow, eleven o'clock in the library. Eleven o'clock in it? the library. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you'll go through her life and times. So I'll go you? through the life and times of both both Bridgets. And you know, there is even a modern day Bridget that that has been born out of the like Irish slaves that went over to America and Scottish slaves. They had the tradition of Bridget. You know. Right. Um. They were they were indentured slaves and they mixed with the African slaves who had a similar deity and she's called wow. Mamon Brigitte. And so this is the modern day Bridget that is that thriving and alive in the Americas. Yeah. Um, somebody making the point, um, her body was buried with St. Patrick and St. Columba, her relics returned to Kildare yesterday. Is, is that yeah. true, by the way? So Bridget was, was the, the original St. Bridget was buried in Kildare. And she had a whole shrine to her and some of those artefacts still remain. There's a slipper of hers up in the National Museum, for example. Yes. Her mantle is in Bruges. Um, but this is, you know, the cloak, the Bridget's yeah. cloak. We all know that story. But when the marauding Vikings came, they were her, her relics were moved and she was buried along with Bridget and Patrick in, in Armagh. But then in the, these three nights, these crusaders were going out on the crusades and it was the whole thing of bringing relics everywhere. Yes. Um, and they decided to dig up her and they took her skull and it went to a place in Lisbon. Now, I've been to see that, yes. but they, there was three relics that were given to to Ireland. One was given to a parish in Dublin, another with Kilpeder, where, you know, there's a mm-hmm. shrine, and the other was given to the nuns, the Brigidine sisters in Carlo, for private veneration. And that's the relic that's gone to Kildare. The ones that, so it hasn't come from Portugal. You know. All right, so tomorrow, Cashel Library, 11am there, and tea and coffee, I think, will be served yes. as well. Lovely to see you, Maureen. Thanks Thank for your you, time friend. this morning. Thank you very much indeed. That's it for me. Leanne produced. Uh, Stephen's on the way with the Time Tunnel, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye now. 
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 